0: Everything's gone to hell, John. God help us all. You're on your own. You! What's going on? Haven't you heard? The Earth Alliance just declared martial law.
1: As of this moment, Babylon 5
0: belongs to the Night Watch. Chikar, what are you doing here? Saving all of us. I've had. An idea. The battle for Earth has begun. The elite guard just opened fire on the Senate building. can't let this go on. What are you going to do? Whatever we have to. I wish to join. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Batch incoming signal.
2: Full audio and video decode.
0: Purple files accessed. What you are about to see... It's never been shown to anyone outside the break house.
3: Welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of NPR, Illinois Community Voices, and the Front Row Network. We are here with a bunch of newbies watching Babylon 5 for the very first time, as well as a couple guys who have probably watched Babylon 5 far too much. And I'm going to guess that at least a couple of you are here for the first time because... This is a rather big episode and a rather big part of season three, and you all tend to jump on on these kind of episodes. So welcome. Uh, We swear we're not as scary as we sound. Maybe Nicole. Maybe Nicole. Rude. Definitely
4: Nicole. Nicole. She's fucking terrifying.
3: Please stick around. And also how this works is we're going to do this in two sections. First, our newbies who have not watched anything past point of no return. will talk about their first impressions. We'll talk about the episode in general, but we won't talk any spoilers about what comes after this episode. Then we'll kick the newbies out the airlock and talk about their questions and predictions. They have moving forward with the folks who have watched the entire series. So stick around for both. If you've already seen the series, or don't care about spoilers or, when the credits roll at the end of this first part, you can jettison yourself
5: out the airlock too. I'm Scott, and with me is- Emily. Kevin. Nicole, the nice one.
1: <laughs> Mike.
5: Jesse.
1: I'm trying to keep a straight face after Nicole said and that. And but... Justin. It's the a me, Susan Ivanova.
4: <laughs> God damn it. We've got new people, don't piss them off.
6: Shit.
3: <laughs> we already do that enough as it is. Right. So if you decide to stick around past this episode, be sure to check all the links down below. If you're listening to our audio podcast, we do have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe to that. Uh, In fact, right now we are giving away a couple copies of Babylon 5, The Road Home, the new animated movie that is coming out in august so if you subscribe to our youtube channel you are entered in for that and if you're watching on the youtube we do have the audio podcast again linked down below and we also have our social media accounts we have instagram twitter and facebook we got a lot of good conversations going on on twitter and facebook i'm trying to get straczynski to yell at me again on twitter i tweeted at him a couple times a day we'll see what happens and along with that if you can Please make sure to leave a review, specifically Apple is the great way to do that, and actually we have a review that came in a little while ago from Jacob. Garfinkel. So I'll read Jacob's review right now. He starts with great show. Checks in the mail. I love the juxtaposition of the first time watchers and those like me who have seen it many times. I also really love all the behind the scenes information from the making of the show. Good stuff. Well thank you Jacob. We appreciate it. So any way you can leave a review that would be great. Please be sure to click all the like, subscribe, notify buttons that are in front of you except for the down arrows. Don't click that one. I know looking at the analytics only about half of you are subscribed so please make sure that you do hit that subscribe button and finally if you can go the full way the full whatever you want to call it you can join our patreon anyone who joins our patreon gets access to our discord server which includes both a general babylon 5 discussion without spoilers and a beyond the rim section where we do talk spoilers and then our highest donors are our gray council which they are our producers listed down in the show notes below and thank you so much to our great council members for helping the show grow with that we'll dive into point of no return which is the title episode of the season so you know it may be kind of important. Justin, I believe you have a synopsis for us.
1: I do. Shit is going down. <laughs> it is sheer pandelirium as it breaks out on Babylon 5 after the declaration of martial law. Nightwatch takes over security at Babylon 5 and forces people to choose sides in the Earth civil conflict. Lady Morella, the Empress of... I guess emeritus of the Centauri, comes to Babylon 5 for a tour with Londo, but his real reasons for having her come are a little bit more strategic. And Sheridan comes up with the temporary solution to the crisis, drawing a line in the sand and taking the station beyond a point of no return. See what I did there? I see what you did there.
3: Okay, let's go into our first impressions. And again, those who have joined us for the first time, this is just a general, what did you think about the episode before we dive in? So Emily, first impressions on Point of No Return.
6: If it weren't for Lady Morella, I probably would have hated this episode just out of sheer anger. <laughs> Not because it's a bad episode, just because that dude, oh, I don't, I don't know what his name is, the Nazi dude, Nightwatch...
2: He's just security guard number one, crazily enough. He doesn't have a name.
6: He just makes me so angry, and I do not want to see his face on the screen.
3: Do not besmirch Admiral Forrest. Come on. Exactly. He launched the Enterprise. Nothing. Okay. Yeah.
6: Doesn't matter. (laughs) What's
1: the Enterprise?
3: (laughs) We're going to have some Star Trek conversations this episode, I think, just yeah. guessing. Emily, is that all you had, besmirching the security guard number one?
6: Yeah.
3: I love the fact that we have hyped up season three forever, and we've hyped up the middle of season three forever, and Emily's best thing is, I didn't hate it.
6: <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm kind of feeling oversold right now, but we'll see.
5: Nicole, first impressions, did you not hate it? No, I really like this episode, but I agree with Emily. That guy is such an asshole and he, his face is so punchable. Like he makes Bester look nice. Okay. I'm just going to put that out there. Like he is a cocksucker extraordinaire. I don't like him. I wish he would go fuck off. And when Sharon got the drop on his ass at the end, I was like, yes, fuck this guy. But anyway, I hate him. And he made me angry and the whole night watch thing really pissed me off as well. So I was feeling the same anger as Emily, but That did not overshadow my joy and love of this episode because there was a lot of shit that went on. You know, usually there's an A and a B plot or whatever. There was like 27 plots. Going. I mean, there was just so much happening in this episode. Um, the way that the Narns were brought in, um, the way that Zach got his head out of his ass, you know, um, the way that Londo uh, made a great comment in the very beginning about how intelligence has nothing to do with politics. Like that set the tone for the entire episode, I thought. Like, what a great true comment. Um, yeah, I just, it was such a good episode. Um, and I really liked Uh, how it kind of ended. I felt it was very vindicated. Um, So I don't want to talk about too much until we get into our conversation. But yeah, just, I mean, everybody played a part. I mean, the only one who wasn't there was Dylan, but Sheridan wished she was there. Yay. So anyway, lots going on in this episode. I have a lot to say. I have a lot of notes. Don't worry. You're going to get your Dylan
3: fixed very, very soon. And I'll just leave it at that. Jesse, first impressions.
7: Crazy. (laughs) Crazy.
4: I'm just, I'm just happy I watched the right episode at this point. Um, <laughs> I was a little worried there for about five and a half seconds. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. Nicole summed it up best: um, several punchable faces, and I, uh, yeah, I, it got worse and worse and worse. And then, dude, got to be in charge. I was like, seriously, this is what we're gonna do. Like you guys promised me that season three wasn't a fucking suck, and. It didn't. So I enjoyed it. Didn't hate it. Um, you know, I would say eight out of 10 would recommend.
3: And Justin, what would be your Yelp review for point of no return?
1: (laughs) This is everything that we've been waiting for. Um, I mean, honestly, I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was a pretty great episode. Um, I liked having Jakar back in the fold. Honestly, I'm going to call him security guard number two because he is just a giant number two, but honestly, And I can wait for the discussion to kind of espouse my um, what I think is going to be heretical beliefs on this. I was kind of let down by the ending. I think it was kind of building up toward I was expecting it to build up towards something that didn't happen. To me, the kind of the ending just kind of fell flat to me. But we'll get there here in a little bit.
3: And let's go over to our first ones. Those of you who have watched every episode and remember most of them, Mike, first impressions.
7: Holy cow, what a good episode. Or hooly-dooly as our friend Ryan down in yum-yum land would say. Uh great episode. Everything fires on all cylinders. Uh that that is my super short first impression. It was awesome. Kevin, first impressions.
2: This episode has so much in it. So much to chew on, you know, the the Lando and Veer stuff, um the the Garibaldi scene. Um, you know, major Barrett Roddenberry in this episode, given a, given a nod to Babylon five, um, when, you know, she's the first lady of star Trek, there had been some animosity between with fans being ridiculous, um, between, uh, star Trek and Babylon five. And she, she liked the show. She had been speaking well of the show and they was like hey how do you want to be on and and she was like i would love to be on so jms wrote this part directly for her and she did not disappoint uh as she never did on star trek the stuff with zach i mean this this episode has so much good stuff in it to chew on it's it's one of my favorites from the uh from the season and i can't wait to talk about it so let's go (laughs) let's
8: go
3: (laughs) Well, real quick, before we do start talking about it, a couple of things for me. Uh, this is one of my favorite episodes of the entire series, and I'm not alone. I continue to go back to the um, the P5 score from Lurker's Guide that was basically um, asking folks as they were watching in the 90s how they would rate the episode. This episode is rated the number 11th best episode of the entire series. That being said... We still have four episodes in season three that rank higher than this one. So uh, I think uh, you're going to find, except for Emily, I, I, you just hate. I can't help you. But you're going to find that season three continues to fire on all cylinders. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Kevin, the other thing I was going to mention too with uh, Major Barrett was um, I'm glad you brought up the whole hate between B5. And Star Trek actually, they did a whole press release back in when this episode first dropped because having the first lady of Star Trek who also played number one on the original pilot of TOS and played the computer voice all the way up until this year with Picard season three with an AI voice of hers, they she's been a part of Star Trek from the beginning and continues to be a big part of Star Trek and keeping it going even in her passing. So Straczynski had a quote in there saying, We're very pleased to have Majel appearing on Babylon 5, because as the wife of Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, her appearance on our show will help dispel the notion, held by some, that one cannot be a fan of both series. Majel and I discussed this between us, and we both view this rivalry as unproductive. We are both extending our hands across our uh, respective fictions, our... um, Across our respective fictional universes in a show of solidarity. So we're very happy that she has chosen to endorse B five in this way, and hope that science fiction viewers of all stripes will check out the series. So all the people who tell me why Deep Space Nine sucks because it's not Babylon five, listen to JMS and just chill the flock out. Okay, let's yeah. go
2: ahead. And... It, you know, it it just like her too to you know to to lift up other intellectual property that she had little to do with other than being guest star but the fact that she was uh, instrumental in some of their press work for this episode just speaks to you know more to her class and less to the fans that are like man one of these sucks because i like the other one well that's meathead crap come on
3: And before you comment on me, I did forget to mention she was also Locks on a Troy in TNG and Deep Space Nine. Sorry, (laughs) I know, I know, I just didn't say it, but there I did. Okay,
1: Nurse Chapel. But let's move on. Is this spoiler territory to ask if this is the only episode that she's on? Yes. Okay.
6: So it's spoiler territory, or she's only on. It's
1: spoiler territory.
3: Get off my damn lawn! It's spoilers. Don't fucking Google it, Justin. Yeah, Justin, well, don't Google.
2: I didn't Google it, God damn it. That's why I asked.
3: <laughs> yeah, last time you did. <laughs> yeah.
7: Okay, okay. so who from Babylon 5 appeared in Star Trek to cross the bridge both ways?
3: Uh, Everybody.
7: There's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a well, lot of crossover.
3: Yeah, just a bit. Yeah. Okay, let's get into the episode proper jesse what do you got
4: i will take what is deep space five for a
3: Oh, for sakes! <laughs> it's deep space nine i'm gonna force you assholes to watch all it. seven seasons when we're done you're already forcing
4: us no okay. <laughs> yeah i'm way deep into fucking sci-fi territory at this point and way more than i ever thought i'd do at balls deep at fucking babylon five at this point
3: you fought Hell b5 yeah. was rough to get through everything with 22 episodes and five seasons, just wait for almost 26 every season for seven. Yeah. I will make you do it and you will like it.
7: (laughs) Okay. Eventually. (laughs) Eventually.
1: (laughs) Unless it's Voyager. Priorities later.
4: (laughs) Oh, my brain's going to explode. Okay. So getting (laughs) into battle five, I was super jacked to see um, Jakar back in this episode. I, I, I love him. Like I, you know, I didn't ever see myself saying that. Probably even less than saying I liked, um, you know, the lieutenant. Oh, she's not the lieutenant now, is she? She's the fucking whatever lieutenant commander. Lieutenant
2: commander. No, she's talking about uh, Takashima. Takashima.
3: Oh, not lieutenant
4: tak- commander. She's she's the commander now, though, isn't she?
3: Yeah, Vonnova's commander.
4: Yeah. Okay, I've just pissed off everybody that's fucking new to our show. God damn.
3: So you're talking about Ivanova or
4: Takashi? I'm talking about Ivanova. I okay, because we were all confused. To, I was trying to not call her Ivanova, but we're here. So <laughs> um, what else can I say to piss people off? What'd you say not to do, Kevin? I just, I was so excited to see Car, So freaking excited. And I love him. And I get like, and the more he's in it, the more I'm like, oh yeah, no, like let him in this group. And I feel like they're gonna, but I feel like we're also gonna drag it out a little bit, but I hope not.
3: Not only do you get the amazing Jakar, played by Andreas Kansoulas, you get his fucking boots. And that close-up of those boots was hot.
4: Yeah. No, he's dope. Like, everything about him is is, is super cool. I wish he was still around.
7: It's just because Jesse has a thing for dudes in prison.
4: (laughs) Oh, shit.
7: Oh, boy.
4: Okay. Oh, shit. so that could get me in trouble let's not go there
2: where do you think she picked up her husband he's got to let his parole officer know he's coming oh, up to julia yeah. oh I my don't...
4: god now we're bashing <laughs> on
2: the dude's not even fucking here i said that uh, to him the other day i haven't I said, met him yet so you know
4: we were in the middle of of the store and i said you can't hit me your parole officer said so <laughs> oh, shit! And he's like i hate you so much i'm like no, you, you, get. you married me so fuck off
2: I just figured you had done that joke before. I was. Oh,
4: I listen. I do. I do it every chance I can get. And when it's an old lady standing around, it's even better.
5: <laughs> Nicole. call. Anyway. I almost forgot what I was going to say for a minute there. Um, first of all, yeah, the boots. These boots are made for walking, baby. Because those boots were. <laughs> everything i want to pair myself um but yeah one of my favorite parts of jakar since we're talking about him was the singing when garibaldi came into this into the cell i was cracking up like because the the episode before he was like stop with the singing or whatever and he's still doing it pissing everyone off so i thought it was hilarious it was so funny and it was just so him but yeah i have to agree with jesse like i hated him at the beginning and i love him now i just just the whole like episode with his idea and them confronting zach and then getting the narn to help him and then telling sheridan basically at the end i know what you're doing i know you're up to something and you're creating an alliance i want in like i think he'd be a great person to get into that alliance because they're going to need all the help they can get against those shadow fucks so the narn have nothing to lose at this point so why the hell not get involved you know what i mean so yeah i just i really enjoyed him in this episode specifically but like yeah i'm i'm on i'm on board with the i kind of love jakar train now because he's just like something changed in him and he's so different and it's just so cool like and I really still I think the Garibaldi and Jakar friendship is so endearing and sweet and I really really enjoy that as well.
3: I'm glad you brought up the change both of you several of you in the past couple episodes have predicted that when jakar comes out of prison now we didn't think it was going to be right away he still had three weeks on his sentence that he would be a changed person and you're all saying oh look he's changed so good job good job prediction people nicely done justin
1: i really think that jakar is at this point has gone absolutely batshit insane and i love every second of it it takes everything that we've scene from Jakar from the beginning of the episode and has completely flipped it on his head to where we wouldn't picture him singing. We wouldn't picture him laughing and giggling incessantly. Like he has a tendency to do at times. And then like, especially like when he walks in flashing his Narn feet pics um, onto the CIC and he's like, I have an idea. And then just makes like a goofy, you know, face. And that's, I honestly, it's, I say it in the best possible way possible because I like the transition like everyone else is saying that he just he's not stuck up, hard-centrified like he was. Now he's very almost compassionate, almost very emotional. It's a complete, you know, 180 degree change and I'm very very interested in his manifesto. And I'm very curious to see what more we get to learn from his writings from the time that he was in prison.
2: Kevin, yeah, Justin, you're you're totally right to your point. You know, he's done almost a complete 180 since the beginning of the series, and in the first season, not too far in, he says to Sinclair's girlfriend, uh, "No one is as they appear." And JMS, for his writing, no one is going to be the character that they started off at at this in this series, no matter how who they were or how they started out. And that's, that's part of the strength of JMS's writing. And uh, all of us have pointed out that that's unlike some of the earlier uh, Star Trek, and it's like some, some other, you know, earlier science fiction that just more episodic. This is very serialized television. It was early on with that, and everyone goes through character changes, and Jakar is very stark with his character change up until this point. So it'll be really interesting for how you all react to his continued changes.
6: Emily. So one of the things I did like about this episode, aside from Lady Morella, was Jakar and his change. And I'm really hoping that they do allow him into that inner circle because he was the one who was figuring out the connection between Londo and the Shadows very early on and no one really seemed to want to believe him or understand what he was referring to, but he knew what was going on. So I'm hoping that they realize that and allow him to be a part of whatever shenanigans they are planning. Jesse, Well, welcome
4: to my mic. So I'm starting to realize the genius that is JMS. Like, (laughs) Right. Like, okay. So it's not like it was a big secret the whole time, but for this man to have been able to write these characters with such depth from the first episode, that's pretty impressive. Like, I don't know. I I definitely couldn't do it myself, but like just to to start out the series with a person who says, I'm not going to be, you know, nobody is who they seem knowing that he's going to evolve into a completely and totally different person. That's genius. It, it's just like the, the depth to this man is it's very, very impressive. What up JMS? It's also
2: a situation with Veer and Londo where, you know, where it's going to end up in some way shape or form but you don't know mm-hmm. how it's going to end up that way How they get there yeah if you yeah. if you believe that the the prophecy is correct maybe it isn't Lando and vera sure think that is right it'll be really it's fascinating to watch this series and then to do a rewatch watch because you, you know as scott's pointed out so many times you you pick up a lot And a rewatch. And that's why people do that so often with the series, because it's so it's so dang interesting to do that. JMS sees his writing like that as kind of a challenge. He is big on being able to pay off on it in most aspects.
3: Yep. I don't know how apocryphal it is because I've heard from different sources, including JMS, different ways this goes, but what what I've heard the most is that he actually had little index cards in a binder for every single episode. So, okay, season three, episode 11, this is what's going to happen. And he built from there. Funny story about that, which we'll get through a little later. When the maid of a hotel maybe throws out his Nindex cards, what happens next? We'll get there when we get there. Mike. Holy shit.
7: Well, you guys have have really hit the nail on the head with the Chikar thing, so I won't dwell on it too much besides to add <laughs> that those boots weren't made for walking. They were made for strutting. <laughs> uh but you know, besides his character development, the the thing that I think is is the most impressive in Babylon Five isn't that it, it's an ensemble show. It's it's about a lot of different characters, and all of those characters go through various different types of growth, not just one guy. Right. You know, I think it'd be relatively easy to write a show where there's a singular titular character whoever you know who, who they chart out his his development but it's like you've got jakara going one way and you've got londo going the opposite way and you know i you've got these cycles and these juxtapositions and things that that's that that to me is the part that's really really cool about it and you know the jakar scenes in this in this episode were awesome i loved how you know he brings his his idea to the command staff and they jump on it and at the same time, there's a little inkling of that old Jakar who's like a little bit giddy about sticking it to the Centauri at the same time. <laughs> like he's still in there. He's not completely gone. Uh, but then on the other side of it, you get the story with Lando and with Veer and you kind of see, you know, once again, kind of the opposite direction that Londo is going in and how he's no longer even sure he's doing the right thing. And that's why he's so freaked out that he's pulled all these strings to get Lady Morella there to, to try to give him clarity about where he's going.
3: Mike, you mentioned the giddiness of Jakar when he's having to, you know, do this to Londo. I, I, and I've said it before, Taylon is one of my favorite characters of the show. When Taylon and the lady were in the elevator together and she realizes he's now a part of security and backing her ass up, she <laughs> looks at him and he gets that little wry smile on looks like, I love you, Taylon. <laughs> I love you. And by the way, Marshall Teague, I need to get you back on as soon as possible, sir. Come back. Yeah, because
1: the rest of us need to talk to him.
3: Yeah, we can actually talk to him now. That's true. That's yeah. true. You still don't know everything with Talon, but I can get you through at least a little bit of it. Justin, what do yeah. you got?
1: I was gonna try and bring up Gestapos and Juntas, but to kind of go off of what Mike had actually said with um, Wando, that actually was one thing that struck me as kind of the kind of something very I guess it kind of hit me a little bit harder was when, you know, he's 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 in this the throw of this argument with Veer about his paper and how it's not worded politically enough and stuff like that. And then she's coming and he's like, Oh, so you just want to bring her here to tell you to, you know, to, to uh, tell you everything that you've seen is right. And he goes, no, I want her to tell me everything I've seen is wrong. And it's just that look on his face that, you know, it's, I know that you guys harp on us for trying to give a little bit of redemption credit to Lando every now and then, but I, I definitely, I I haven't given up on my redemption hopes for Lando yet. I'm just going to say it.
5: Hope springs eternal. Nicole. I actually wanted to comment on Talon. I really like him too. Like, I don't know much about him, but like he was waiting for Jakar, how he said he was waiting. Um, and he goes to sleep on the fifth day or whatever. And he wanted to repay his debt and all that stuff. Like, I just thought that was really a cool dynamic. And then, like, feel like he was an integral part of getting all the Narns on board to help out with, like, security and all that. So I just I'm really excited to see what happens with him. And I really like his character so far. So I just kind of wanted to point that out, that he's on my watch list of, like, he might be one of my new favorites. Talking about JMS and how he
3: writes things, too. Talon, the reason why Talon keeps coming back is JMS just enjoys the character. Talon was, I believe, and I may be told I'm wrong on Twitter, but I believe Talon was a one and done character. But because JMS just likes the character so much, he keeps bringing him back.
2: Kevin. My hope is that he also liked working with Marshall Teague. That's something that particularly good directors will often do in movies or television, is that if there's somebody that they like working with they'll they'll bring them back often i wanted to say something about guest stars because you know even even though his character is um easy to hate the actor vaughn armstrong that plays the the head of the night watch on the station the last two episodes um vaughn armstrong has had a pretty good career doing mostly guest star work from what i can tell he was one of the first klingons besides war on. Next generation uh, in an early episode, uh, Scott. You mentioned that he was Admiral Forrest on Enterprise. He's done other guest star work on on Star Trek and other series, and he's he's a great actor. He's got a great voice, does a great job. You know, Josh Cox, you know, does a great job as Lieutenant Corwin. I really like his line where he's like, "Captain, what did we do wrong?" And the captain's just honest and says, "I don't, I don't know, Lieutenant. I really don't." We already talked about Major Barrett. Roddenberry being on this. I mean, this is a great, great episode for guest star work. I mean, this is just a great episode up and down. What else y'all want to talk about? Garibaldi. Can you think of any
3: other actor on this show, main actor, who could toss furniture like Jerry Doyle could? I mean, if Franklin had come in and do that scene or Sheridan, it just wouldn't have the same gravitas that Jerry Doyle coming in there and just being shit pissed off and just throwing stuff. I love that Jerry Doyle gets to play with this
2: character in this scene. I saw a quote from him he was asked at the time about the scene and he says, that's the kind of stuff that you wish once in a while you could do at home, but you can't. (laughs) So then when you get it in the script, you're like, yes, I get to, I get to beat stuff up on set. And then some, some poor set designer's got to come back in here and reset it. And then I get to do it all over again for another take. So he had a lot of fun with that scene. One table wasn't enough. I'm going
3: to talk over two. It's going to be great. <laughs> Emily, what do you got?
6: That was on my notes. says Garibaldi knows how to make a scene. Sheridan was like, don't go making a scene. And what does he do? He goes in and he makes a fucking scene.
3: It wasn't just, it wasn't even just Sheridan. Zach said the same thing to him. Don't go in there hot and don't do it.
6: And I really liked how he called people out to their face and made them own up to being crappy. Like, I spent three years building you all together as a team. I've helped you with personal shit. And now you're going to turn around and do this. You're going to look me in the eye and you're, I'm going to make you feel bad about what you're doing. And I loved that. I but that's it. the thing, not they a,
3: couldn't look him in the eye. Not one of them, even not Zach. a single person would
2: side with Garibaldi
3: he was in that trying to and, force
6: it. and they, were, they couldn't do it. And I, I love that.
2: Quite the guilt <laughs> trip move for sure.
3: You know, we've had this conversation a couple times though, too, about other things, and it's a lot easier. In, i'm saying it too it's a lot easier to look at this as a show and say oh well those guys are all assholes but can any of us really say if we're in that group think mentality and i'm not saying we're gonna be nazis but you get what i'm saying here if we're in a group of peers who no one's stepping up could you be the one to step up even zach really doesn't zach gets an out again and is able to do it at the end but he doesn't step up there either
1: nicole malcolm stood up
3: not in that scene though he did it earlier
1: was that earlier? Oh, that was before. Yeah. Well, that's when they were actually handing out
3: the Nightwatch yeah, thing, yeah, saying, hey, if you right. want your paycheck, like, no, do it. No.
1: Here's my gun. Here's my badge. I'm out. And
3: if you look at the end, more had done that. We saw Malcolm, but yeah. they call in uh, security. They don't call the Narns in first. They call in anyone who wasn't a part of Nightwatch. And there was several. Yeah. Just none in that scene. Nicole.
5: Yeah, I was going to say this wasn't my original comment, but just to kind of go off what you were saying was um, they probably were afraid of what would happen if they didn't comply. And that's what it comes down to. So I could see why maybe they wouldn't say anything, but also I could see why they wouldn't look Garibaldi in the eye because they knew they were wrong. But they also knew if they didn't comply, what would happen to them? Would they get thrown in jail? Would they get you know what I mean? So I can see where they would have that conundrum there. But, man, I got to go backing up Emily again here. I fucking love Garibaldi. Like from day 1 I've always been a Garibaldi stan. He comes in there with his big old balls, flipping tables, demanding shit. Multiple people telling him not to make a scene. Like if I envisioned myself in a situation like that, I would have been Garibaldi. I would have came in, flipped tables, got people's faces, called him out like the whole time I was like this is why I fucking love you. He might be flawed, but he is one of my favorite characters on this show. And this this scene in this episode was just another solidifying factor of why I love him. Because you know what? He might not be perfect. He might have his issues. He might have his demons. But damn, that man stands up for what he believes in. And he's not afraid of the consequences. He even tells Sheridan, you can't stop me, bro. Bye. I'm going to go. <laughs> I love that. Like, he just did not have the fear. And, and I feel like in his mind, he's like, what do I have to lose at this point? Fine. What's going to happen to me? I'll be the one to do it. You know, I'll be the one to rally the troops. And then when nobody rallied with him, I could tell he had like a little twinge of like, it hurt his feelings. You could see that clearly, but it still does not diminish the fact that man, that dude's got balls of steel and I just, I fucking love him. Jesse as somebody who knows how to make a fucking scene
4: <laughs> and four of the six people on this podcast right now can verify that. Um, I, I loved it. And you know what? I, when he walked in and when he walked in, I wanted to just yell, flip that fucking table. And he did it. And I was like, this is dope. I, you know, you hope that you're that person, right? Like you hope that you're that person that stands up for shit against stuff that is wrong in the time that nobody else says it. So it was, it was refreshing and yeah, he's, he's a great character. It was, it was fun to watch
3: well let's keep going on the night watch piece and i know justin you held back on your conversations of but if you want to talk more about that also i'd love to hear you guys' reaction to zach because uh many of you in your predictions and questions over the past nearly month more than that actually have been saying will zach ever come around is Zach going to turn is Zach going to be a spy we now have the answer so how do y'all feel about that
5: nicole I'm so glad Zach got his head out of his ass and like finally grew up, pair and stood up because I could tell he was conflicted and he wasn't fully on board with the Watch thing. I think it started with extra money for him. Go, I get it paid extra. But then I feel like he saw the light. But I just th- feel like like the last episode, he was afraid to take that step. And I think them confronting him and giving him the opportunity and empowering him to take that step is the push that he needed. And now that he's on the right side of history, thank God. I'm so happy to see it because I I do, I, I felt for him because as much as I was frustrated that he wasn't taking a stand and wasn't just quitting or whatever, I understand like he probably also felt like what'll happen if I do like, what's the consequences, you know? So I think that like knowing that he had their support and had them backing him, if he decided to... Come up because I think I think Garibaldi knew that Zach wanted out and knew that he was of right mind and of sound mind, but maybe he Zach needed to get that reassurance that he had backup. I really am so excited to see that it finally happened.
3: And again, going back to JMS feeding us this stuff throughout the season, this is not the first time that Garibaldi and Zach have had a confrontation. The first time Zach put that band on, Garibaldi started questioning his loyalty and asking what the hell was going on. So, this is a friendship and a professional relationship that has been hurt and then building back that uh, rapport. Or actually the last second building it back, but it's something that this is not just out of the blue. We've seen this Garibaldi Zach interaction for quite some time.
2: Well, in the way that JMS wrote it, you you don't know, you don't see the scene in, in Zach's quarters. Yep. So you don't know how this is gonna go. And then he makes you think, Is he is he going to be a traitor to the command staff?
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: I'm curious of the of the four of you newbies. Who thought that he was going to be a traitor to the command staff?
5: I did for like five seconds. I knew he was on board. I was like, oh, he's so fucking on board. He was laying it on thick to that dude.
1: I called this ruse during my reaction video. <laughs> How about you, Emily?
6: I don't really remember. I think I was definitely hoping the, that he was full shit. And it kind of sounded so outlandish that ha- it sounded too much like a setup for it to be legit. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to bring in all of these NARN and we're going to need all the security because they're coming to replace us. I was just like, what the hell?
3: But that turned out to be exactly what happened. As Sheridan said, <laughs> yeah. a little bit of truth helps a lie go down. <laughs> right. He told he
1: told him that exactly what was going to happen.
3: And, you know, we're, we're continuing to talk about Zach. I just want to say again, because unfortunately he's not around to hear it anymore, but Jeff Conway plays this episode so freaking well. And we talked about this in season two. He came on in a really rough patch of his life. And it was kind of a, if you can make this work, we'll keep you around, but you got to make it work. And not only has he made it work, he's become one of the strongest actors on this show. Mm-hmm. Jesse.
4: Yeah. So before Kevin so rudely interrupted, I was gonna say exactly what he asked. I was the naive one that thought for like five seconds that he was like, I, I literally like mouthed what the fuck? Like he just told on him. And then I was like, wait a minute, no, like that mm, I'm hoping here. So um watching that, I'm just glad it came around, I guess, is the moral of the story. I I think that. I can't remember who it was last time or two times ago when we were making our predictions. And I said, no, I'm going to say that he like jumped ship. And I'm glad that that came to fruition.
3: Yeah. Andrew was saying, and he's not here to defend himself, but Andrew was saying that uh, Zach would stay with Nightwatch and you were saying, no, he would not. So sorry, Andrew.
4: Well, he's, I mean, read the room, right? Like he's been. He's been unhappy with them since the day that, you know, somebody, was it Justin? I can't remember who said he did it for the money. He absolutely did it for the money. And he then, and then like, was like, no, I'm not cool with some of this shit that's happening. So, I mean, he was resistant the whole time and it's good to see that he um, didn't actually follow through with, I mean, he didn't lie to them. He told them what was going to happen.
3: But isn't this how you get into your big pile of shit? And it's like, it's, it's for, it starts out, it's innocuous. It's like, hey, they're going to pay me some money. I just right. got to wear this band and I got to show up for some meetings. And then at the end of it, you're helping with a coup.
4: <laughs> you're innocuous. sounds it's like the,
3: the
7: I was oh, going to say, boom, <laughs> bought a timeshare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, hey, Mike, that's a real sound investment, okay? Oh, <laughs> God. Emily, what do you got?
6: I was just going to say, I do agree that Zach needed the out and they gave it to him. And one of the things I actually like about this storyline for him is it shows how it happens. Because yeah, it starts out like, hey, you're just going to do this. They make it sound like it's not that big a deal. And then they increase it. And then he gets to a point where he is uncomfortable with it and he doesn't like it, but he's put in a position where he feels like he's the only one that doesn't agree with it which is done intentionally because it makes it harder for anyone to resist. Because if you're the only one resisting, how can one person stand up to like such a big group who has the power, who has the money, you know, they have the money, they have the weapons, they have the power. So what are you going to do as one person? And I do really appreciate how that was shown because that's how it works. It, the point is to make people who resist feel like they don't have the power to resist.
3: Not only that, but, I mean, Zach got a lot out of Nightwatch. When Zack joined Nightwatch, he was a grunt. Lou Welch was second in command, and now Lou Welch, the actor, is just not around anymore. So then we get Zach elevated to second in command, and by the end of this episode, well, halfway through this episode, he's chief of security. So Nightwatch has done pretty good for the kid.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Kevin. There's, there's two things I want to point out about that that final scene uh, of reveal with uh, the Narn and, and all that. You know, the Doctor isn't in this episode very much. He's only got a couple of scenes. He comes in to console Sheridan, and then at the end, you know, he's there with everybody else. But I think he might have the my favorite delivery in this episode where... Jakar walks in with the rest of the Narn and and they just you know he just looks very triumphant but still you know uh, honorable and like you're kidding you're not kidding oh boy Londo's gonna love this I love that line it is so funny the way that he delivers that one thing I'm not clear on keeping everybody in there is going to cut our security patrols in half doesn't that worry anybody
1: not really
3: We've got some help for a change. You're kidding.
8: You're not kidding. Always plant a lie inside a truth. Makes it easier to swallow.
1: Oh boy, Lando is gonna love this. Hell oh yeah. Justin. Yeah, just touching on Franklin for a bit because I thought that Franklin's Franklin's just appearance at the end of the episode was humorous to me. Just when Sheridan's sitting there kind of mulling over a very difficult decision and Franklin just kind of strolls in for the first time in the episode with his hands in his pockets. So he just got back from getting a pack of cigarettes down at the space gas station. And he's like, hey, guys, what's up? What I you know, what's going on around here? What I miss? He just kind of walks in like this is the first time he knows what's going on around here. And he's like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? I almost laughed out loud during that right off the bat, like, hey, sorry, I'm late, guys, you know. I got stuck on the 405, you know, but I'm here now.
7: <laughs> not a-, a hell of a drug. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Justin, go ahead. Uh, can we talk about civil war now? As we are fond of saying on this show, shit escalates quickly. I really don't think any of us is shocked about the events that have transpired because we've been talking about this for a while now, about how, you know, we never trusted Clark, you know, the rise of, of, a, of a fascist regime, stuff like that. None of this should, like... The whole, you know, Declaration of Martial Law, stuff like that shouldn't shock us. I'm kind of actually pleasantly surprised about kind of the level of resistance that you see from the very beginning. I was really afraid that, you know, Haig was going to get taken out early on in this first roundup of of people. But Clark immediately, you know, dissolves the Senate and just starts arresting senators left and right. They freaking militarily attack the damn building. But then you start seeing a lot of military overtly through Hague. Yes, I'm going to start, you know, gather up battleships. Let's go and let's strike back. Good on him. But then through like what Smith's and through a few others, you start seeing some very subtle resistance. And I thought Smith's was a dick the first time he was on that episode. I was like, this guy's a jack wagon. But then once kind of Sheridan started putting things together, I started to see it too. And it's like, okay, so there is actually very high level resistance to what Clark is doing. They just can't be overt about it. And I guess kind of that leads into what the one thing about the episode I was disappointed with about kind of how how this episode was actually resolved was over the course of the episode, I was expecting something massive to happen. And it just kind of built and built and built. And here we go. Night Watch is taken over. And then our heroes are getting backed into a corner. We don't know what we're going to do. Okay, well, then let's just lock them in a hangar bay and make them surrender. Well, okay. I was expecting maybe, like, especially that whole scene of how, like, intense Sheridan was, like, sitting up all night in his room thinking and all that. I was sitting there like, okay, so either he's, he's going to, like, overtly come out in support of hague like he's gonna drop the damn gauntlet he's gonna either like join the war on hague's side or he's gonna break from earth declare some kind of fitting this is being recorded around fourth of july holiday but declare some kind of independence from earth or something like that but no nothing like that happens unfortunately and he's just it's just kind of like i think it stalls now maybe there's a reason for that. And I'm hoping maybe there's a reason kind of some of that shit will happen later. I don't know, but that was the only thing I didn't care about for the episode, but the whole fight was a lot more kind of intense. And even the media, like I thought, you know, this is okay. Now we're just dealing with state control media. Not so kind of the, all, all the vid feeds were still kind of covering this. And I loved when the kind of, when the night watch had started that riot down in the bazaar and all of the people were cheering for Haig. Like, so even like the common people were like cheering when, you know, when the Schwarzkopf took up a, one of the other battleships and stuff like that. And it was, and Haig got away. And it was, it was, to me, that was, a that was very gratifying. I, I was happy to see that kind of high level of resistance.
5: Nicole. That's kind of what I was going to ask about was the guy giving him the orders of Night Watch, and was he giving him like a subliminal message? Like, was he okay? I mean, obviously Sheridan figured it out, but like yeah. at first I didn't think that he was part of the, the resistance. I thought he was, like a dickhead you know if if
3: you watch it closely i mean he leans in every time he's saying it like the political arm gave this order the chain of command if he would like touch his nose a little bit it'd be a little
1: more obvious but (laughs) you miss us an opportunity not as a bird yeah and i didn't catch that
5: i didn't catch that at first well and if you
3: i mean they kind of hit it home too like when sheridan and franklin are talking they're monitoring everything do not say anything over the air. The the general's dealing with the same thing. There is fighting outside of his office. I mean, and the, the other guy saw that. So at this point, he needs to be very, very careful so he doesn't get taken out. So, and again, I don't know if he's being overly careful because again, every time he wants to actually say something, he leans in. Follow the chain of command. Emily.
6: This isn't necessarily totally related, but I just have to get this out because it's bothering me. So the new Nightwatch security dude, how inept is he to have his entire security force go into a bay where they can get locked in? (laughs) I was like, really, dude? You're all like, ooh, I'm thinking bad. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then you walk right into this trap. And I was like, Wow.
0: Well, yeah. The only
2: thing I'll say about that is, remember, they thought they had 200 Narns showing up. So they thought they were going to have a big you know a, a fight on their hands if they didn't get ahead of it. So, yes, it was a very stupid idea on his part, but I think they, they set it up well. They set him up. He, the,
3: the guy has everything going right for him. He has been this little peon guy in Nightwatch the whole time saying, something's going to happen, something's going to happen, and then... He gets told, hey, you're now in charge of Nightwatch. And oh, by the way, Nightwatch is in charge of the station. So he's cocky. He's thinking everything's going well. And then his new chief of security comes to him like he's been trained to do and said, I had a conversation with Sheridan. Here's what's going to happen. So, again, the dude thinks everything is going the way it should. So I don't think that's ineptness. That's cockiness. But
2: hubris. Yeah. yeah. 100% hubris.
3: Sheer fucking hubris. We
6: talked about of Night or like Night Watch outside of Babylon Five. Are they all thinking this, and they're going to end up in similar situations where they'll just walk right into this trap because they assume everything's going to go their way?
3: Well, you assume that everywhere else has a Sheridan and team who are planning ahead. But also, remember what the General said when he was doing his little wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Nightwatch is taking over security for all, uh, I don't know how he put it, but basically all extraterrestrial security. Or off-world. Thank you, off-world, that's the thing.
7: I would assume that they didn't say anything about Nightwatch on Earth because Earth security probably already is Nightwatch. Yeah, they would have just swapped them out. I mean, it's close to home. Yeah,
3: but I, 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 I hear what you're saying, Emily. I just don't see it. I don't think this is ineptus. I don't think this is them making a mistake. I think this is them believing that everything they had set up was working and everything they knew was happening. And to Kevin's point, when you got 200 narns being unloaded, you bring the SWAT team and you stop it.
7: It's, it's cockiness. I mean, how, how eager was he when the order came in that you're in charge of security? He was immediately like, we run this station now we're in charge you know like he was eager to not just he was eager to abuse his power as quickly as he possibly could get it um which you could say there are some parallels to things about that uh, yes you could the other the other side of that is that half his security force just quit so not only is he going in to face an army of narns but he's doing it with half of the guys that used to back him up so yeah i mean it definitely came off like he was kind of a dummy but i i think his hands were kind of forced and you know there's a lot of ways to explain it i suppose um and i wanted to add to justin's point about you know i guess i I get where you're coming from feeling that the end of the episode is a little bit anticlimactic but there is there is a big thing that finally comes that that concludes the episode, and that is that martial law is declared on Babylon five. The whole episode, they've heard martial law declared on Earth and on other planets and stuff, but but finally the order made its way to B five. And that was kind of that, yes, again, anticlimactic, because I know where your where your head's at as far as what you were expecting to happen, but it was still a big bomb to drop at the end and like, well, what do we do
1: now? is kind of where this episode leave, you know, leaves off. Or just like Ivanova says right at the end, I didn't expect it to end like this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they they know the hammer's coming.
3: Since, uh, Mike, you alluded to, you know, <laughs> the correlation to, to what...
7: To how many people on Facebook were cheering for Clark and his regime attacking the Senate? Point
3: of no return has always been kind of a rough episode to watch if you are a person who believes that maybe we shouldn't, you know, shoot at members of leadership. And all that good stuff, but this thing—this is the first time I've watched Point of No Return since January six, and oh my
2: god, yeah, <laughs>
7: it I mean, is. I hard hard to another watch. layer, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I can only assume, you know, that you pointed out. I think it was Justin that said it, that the, the people in the Zocalo watching TV as General Hague's ship escapes, they're cheering for General Hague. But you know goddamn well that not everybody all over, you know, the, the Earth Alliance was cheering for that scene, you know, for that news. So it's and then and it does, man, it, it weighs heavy on you watching this and thinking, mm-hmm. boy, we 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 aren't too terribly far away from this, are we? <laughs>
3: No, and history repeats itself because, of course, you know, the burning of the Reichstag and everything else It's just one of those where it's interesting that 30 years later, and it will be this way 200 years later, that this show hits home. And it's just, I wish it didn't.
7: And It's been building. I mean, ever since Ivanova discovered the evidence and they released it, every episode we've heard this little tidbit about you know, how all the evidence against Clark is building, but Clark just turns it around and says, well, that shit was all made up. And here's my made up evidence that says that it's not true. And like, have you turned on the news lately? Have you talked to your crazy aunt? And I love how JMS writes this
2: episode because it would be so easy to, show the battles it would be so easy to show other perspectives of what's going on but he wanted to keep the focus on Babylon 5 so he tells the story of what's happening on on earth and the area through the the news feeds through ISN and keeps the focus on Babylon 5 and you know mostly the command crew and I really like that choice um personally I could see where someone else would disagree but I love it
3: the last thing I wanted to bring up with you all newbies is one of the things that's been a For some of you, it's been a complaint. For some of you, it has been observation how Sheridan seems to always get the strategy and get the solution at the last minute. How do you all feel about how he gets to this solution with wink, wink, nudge, nudge, general guy and figuring out how he can get through this this issue? How did this seem good to you all? Did this seem like another par for the course for Sheridan? I'm curious because a lot of you have brought
5: this up before. Nicole. For this one, he didn't figure it out until Franklin kind of nudged him and like gave him Like his discussion with Franklin is what directed him to kind of figure it out. So I do feel like maybe it was a little aided in this one. He didn't just come up with it out of his ass miraculously by himself. But I I do feel like, yeah, I, I feel like Franklin was the one that kind of sparked it. But yeah, then he kind of pulled it out of his ass. So I don't know. I feel a little less, you know. I don't know what the word is, but I feel like it's, this was a little less like obvious. I feel like this was a little bit more natural, like, cause sometimes it takes somebody to have a conversation with someone and then spark an idea or a thought and then bam off to the races. You know, I feel like this felt a little more natural than the previous ones. Jesse.
4: I loved it. I thought it was great. It was kind of nice to see him be the stronger, like more like assertive leader as opposed to like this good old guy who's like got the perfect face and always has the right answers and this one he was just a little more aggressive and it was nice he was like listen this is how it fucking is it'll buy you some time get fucked everybody and have a great day so i enjoyed it
5: nicole i thought he had a lot of zaddy energy in this episode (laughs) (laughs) watch out now
2: should we talk about veer and londo Yes. yes, we should.
3: And we talked about Major Barrett a lot, but we haven't talked about Lady Morella that much at all. So
6: I'll start with Lady Morella. I was so happy to see her. Oh my gosh. And it was really interesting to see her as like a seer since my favorite character of hers is as a Betazoid. Well, a very, very horny Betazoid, but a Betazoid. So I thought it was interesting that there was that similarity in reading people. I thought that was kind of a cool bit to see her doing you take on something that's kind of similar without the horniness
3: you don't know she does refer to herself in the third person maybe she's just always horny <laughs> we, we are interested at all times nicole
5: well first of all i couldn't remember her name at first so i kept calling her lady marmalade <laughs> so but lady Marella, i got it down i even wrote down lady marmalade no that's not right and then i figured it out it was lady Marella, but What I thought was interesting about her is when she accidentally touched Lando's hand and she saw that like really awful menacing image and it like kind of jarred her a little bit. She had a look of like, oh, no, on her face. And he was like, what? And she's like, oh, nothing like you're going to get got, bro. Like, you know, so I feel like she knows exactly what's going to happen to him. And, And when she told him, I don't feel like she really gave him like, okay, this is a clear description of what's going to happen because she made it sound like he still has choices to make. Right. And that's going to affect his outcome. The only thing that she told him was that eventually he'll become emperor, you know? So I still feel like he was left like, not sure about what, is going to be in the future. But she basically was like, listen, you're going to have signs. Don't blow it. If you want redemption, you have one chance, you know? So I thought that whole dynamic and that whole scene was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, when she touched his hand and saw that image, I was like, oof, that like was, she was very, very much startled. I thought. So I thought that was kind of a, a sign of what's to come for Lando. If he doesn't get a shit together. Just
1: the final scene with Lando and Veer sitting there on the couch after being told both of you will become emperor, but only one will be emperor after the other one dies. And then they're both just kind of sitting there, being, you know, like, honestly, like I was laughing during watching the scene because it's like, hey, um, don't you have somewhere else to go? No, no, not till tomorrow. Hey, I made dinner. Ah, uh, no, I'm not hungry. One of you will become emperor after the other dies.
0: nonsense. Of course. (laughs) I've made some dinner. I'm not hungry. You're not saying that you don't trust me anymore, are you, Lando? I I made your favorite spoon.
1: I'll order in. You can tell the level of distrust. It was it was comical being like, yeah, I'm not going to give you a chance to blow up my ship. I'm not going to give you a chance to poison my food. Through you, buddy. It's going to be very interesting what their one-on-one dynamic looks like from now on, because it was always very much a a Londo is superior to Veer, and then now they've almost been put on an equal footing with this, with the supposed prophecy that they're both going to end up at one point being emperor. Now you, we can have discussions on who's going to go first, but it's definitely going to be uh, a very interesting. And I think at times a very comedic uh, new dynamic between those two. Jesse.
4: So going back to this um, prophecy, we've seen the prophecy before. Haven't we? We've seen that image of him before. Yeah.
3: We've seen it a couple of times. Uh, Lando says in the very first episode, that uh, Centauri see their death in their dreams. And what we have seen is Shakar at Londo's throat. Lando looks
4: very old and decrepit in that prophecy. Uh-huh. And I'm going to guess that if every season is a year, unless something crazy happens, we're not going to see this prophecy come to fruition. Maybe we will. Maybe I'm wrong. But he looks old as shit in that prophecy every single time we see it. So I, I'm curious what that, what that means and what that leads to.
3: I'm going to write that down as a prediction, even though this is not the prediction section, but I'm going to write it down as a prediction.
4: Gaslight me too. And tell me how terrible of a guesser I
7: am. I just did that to Justin. You're fine.
4: (laughs) You only do that when we're right.
7: (laughs) (laughs) I guess to me, the thing about that scene, that whole, that whole uh, plot line, we'll say that is the most interesting to me is like, I, I would have come into it assuming that, uh, that Londo would just assume he's going to be Emperor and then Veer is going to secede him. Like he's going to pull Veer up and drag him along with him, right? But the fact that Londo is seemingly very distrusting of Veer kind of speaks volumes about how much he might actually respect little dude. He might actually somewhere in his Centauri brain be like, shit, Veer's going to become the emperor and I'm going to have to kill him <laughs> to become the emperor <laughs> like,
3: or vice versa. I'm going to become yeah. the emperor and veer's going to kill me.
7: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, which in the fact that they would go that direction with it is really interesting too, but it that's the reverse of it. That gets me the most that, that I kind of giggle about. Cause I feel like it's, it's, it's weird and it's sort of telling about their relationship or at least how Lando views veer. And you know,
3: I will add to that, too, because one of the things when I when I first watched this episode, or at least one of the times I watched it, I always found it interesting that Veer and Londo are already suspicious of each other when neither one of those, them is Emperor. And JMS actually responded to that same kind of thing and saying, sometimes Centauri just like to get ahead of the game. So if they know it's going to happen, why wait, Kevin?
2: Peter told us during the interview that we did with him, and he said other other times that he and Stephen First had an incredibly good time on set together.
1: And I know that when we were on set together, uh, we both were really fond of each other. We'd spend a lot of time uh, when we weren't in character laughing together. So it was a real joy to be with him. I think we drove the, the, the crew and maybe the directors crazy. You know, it was a little like... You know, straighten up there, would you? Uh, but we really had a great time together. That's That wasn't what it was like working with Andreas. He, did, he wasn't, a, you know, a jokester as much. But um, S- Stephen was really a great guy to hang with. He was really funny and... Uh, we had a lot in common as two people so it was just it was just a joy he was a really funny guy
2: so whenever they're on in a scene together there's nothing but fun going on in between takes and the way that they they film this the the director you know basically just said i'm just gonna let you guys go you know and we'll we'll use what you know, what we think is the most usable. This episode is directed by Jim Johnston. And so, you know, what, what they ended up filming, it kind of comes off at least partially like a, like a Laurel and Hardy routine. And it's, it's absolutely hilarious to watch. It's a true joy, at least, you know, to me. And and I, I know a few of you probably feel the same way. I know Justin already said that it's, It's really a lot of fun.
3: I also love the juxtaposition, Kevin, to your point about the Veer and Londo scenes. The first time we see Veer and Londo in this episode, Londo is, like, giving him pointers, and Veer's like, you're rewriting all my stuff, and it's very much a subordinate, dominant relationship. And then at the end, they're both sitting there on level playing ground and on a couch, looking at both each other like... Which one of us is going to poison the one first? I just love how this episode books it with those two scenes. It's great.
7: Well, well and actually, even the beginning was a, was pretty different from how their relationship has, beca- yeah. has been. Because instead of Londo just demeaning Veer and Veer sitting there taking it like a little puppy, he was like getting pissed about Londo yeah. and yeah. what he was doing. And he was giving it back a little bit
3: well remember when we saw londo in the gathering his star was coming down he even said you know we're a freaking amusement park for you know tourists and stuff we've seen londo on ascension because he's aligned himself with the shadows but now veer's on ascension too because he's now the attache or ambassador or whatever to mimbar that's not a small position and so yeah i mean i think they're both rising at the same time which is going to cause an interesting dynamic moving forward We are going to do questions predictions as normal, but before we do that, I kind of want to get your guys' input on the prophecy itself. So, I'm curious, and I want to hear your thoughts, and then we can see if I have to gaslight any of you or not. You have a chance few others will ever have, Malari. You still have three
0: opportunities to avoid the fire that waits for you at the end of your journey. You have already wasted two others. You must save the eye that does not see. You must not kill the one who is already dead. And at the last, you must surrender yourself to your greatest fear, knowing that it will destroy you. Now, if you have failed all the others, that is your final chance for redemption. I don't understand. The future reveals itself only reluctantly, Ambassador. Take the sign for what it is. Look for it when it appears. I will. Thank you.
3: So, first off, Lady Morella says there were five chances for Londo to be redeemed. He has already failed at two. So the first question I have for the newbies, because the four first ones can't talk, obviously, for the newbies is what were the first two that Lando
5: failed at? Probably getting the shadows involved was the first one and killing all the Narn. Yeah, so the Narn
3: War. So starting the Narn War, Ally with the Shadows, okay.
6: Wasn't one of them something about killing a man who was already dead? Well, that's the three that's that haven't happened
3: out. yet. Yeah, so we're, I'm going to get to that. But she said before she gets to those last three that he has already failed at two attempts to be redeemed.
6: Okay, I thought that was one of the ones he failed at and I thought that was referring to the Knives episode where he killed his friend.
3: Nope, that he has not, he has not gotten to that point yet. That's three to come. And we'll talk about that in a minute.
6: I would say it has something to
3: do with Jakar and how he treated Jakar. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Now, the other part of that, I'm going to read the prophecy and you all tell me where you think these fit in. I think it'll be interesting to get the guesses. You still have three opportunities to avoid the fire at the end of your journey. You have already wasted two others. You must save the eye that does not see. You must not kill the one who is already dead. And at the last, You must surrender to yourself to your greatest uh, fear, knowing that it will destroy you. Now, if you have failed all the others, that is your final chance at redemption. So now I want to know from the newbies, anyone have any guesses at what those prophecies entail?
6: The save the eye sounds like saving the eye, the whatever that thing was from a previous episode that they
3: it was called the eye
6: yeah <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: It
6: was yeah. Eye and it couldn't see so I kind of figured it was referring to that because maybe it went missing again or something
2: I think that's from coming of
3: shadows isn't yeah, it Scott it is but remember she's saying these have not come to be yet so it could still be the eye they may come back right because
6: but... like it might get lost along the way as they're fighting the Narn if the Narn somehow take it
5: okay Nicole I was going to say, I think the um, one about him succumbing to his biggest fear is like being a failure and being a nobody. He's going to have to succumb to that in order to save himself because that's, I feel like him not being significant is his biggest fear and it will be, it'll destroy him if he's not significant and he's not in power and he's not affluent. So I feel like that is what he's going to have to succumb to.
3: Just to add to that a little bit and just to add a question to you, is it because he wants to have power or does he want the centauri to have power? Because he even says in this episode, and he said it back in the gathering, yeah. His only goal is to see the Centauri Empire rise again.
5: Yeah. And I think he he wants that so badly that he's he's blinded by it, but he's gonna have to let that go in order to save himself. Otherwise, gotcha. he's gonna blow his chance. Or his five chances. (laughs) Yeah, his five chances. But yeah, I I think that's what it's referring to because his biggest fear is, yeah, the power and and not like the Centauri failing essentially and and falling and crumbling. Um, And I mean, that and himself too. So I think think it's like a dual thing. Cool.
1: Justin. I'm not really 100% sure what to think about the first two. I definitely see Emily's point about the first one being about the eye. Also, I think it might have been Emily who said something about because like he had to kill his best friend because who was being falsely accused of being a traitor Mm -hmm. and knives. I can kind of see how he will come up again because he already took his family underneath the, the house of Malari. So I wonder if something like that will happen again to where he may end up having to turn out his family and further kill the man who's already dead in order to further himself. So that's another choice he may end up having to make. So, you know, I guess I'm two for two with Emily on this one, but um, in terms of succumbing to his greatest fear, I do think that it's going to be, I think he's going to blow the other two to be honest with you and it's going to track
3: records. Being, not good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not, you know, if you were a baseball player, he'd be sent back down to the minors by now, but um I really think succumbing to his greatest fear is is letting go of the future of the Centauri Empire and almost like allowing the fall of Centauri Prime to happen. Like he's 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 not going to be able to save save the Empire and he's going to have to accept that if he wants to, you know redeem himself so he will not save the cheerleader and he will not save the world <laughs> <laughs> no that is not he will not blow himself up to save the world so
3: <laughs> speaking of writer strikes that killed shows yeah I,
1: that's jesse, a big you, one
3: <laughs> yeah big time jesse what do you got
4: um so not killing the man who's already dead is that how it goes
2: yes
3: yeah. So uh, the, the three, real quick, the three predictions are: must uh, say the uh, save the eye that does not see; must not kill the person who's already dead; and must succumb to his greatest fear.
4: Okay. So I don't know about the eye. I have no idea. I uh, the when I heard that originally, I thought the same thing. Emily thought was about the eye that he he had previously had. Um, not killing the man who's already dead uh, refers to Zathras and so all jokes aside seriously the third one um i i'm gonna step out on a limb and say that he has to give up his god give up his either give up his drive for power like basically come to the conclusion that he's gonna die a nobody or he has to help jakar which would in turn not i guess i'm gonna play off of what you guys already said it clearly is not going to further the centauri but maybe he helps his friend i don't know i don't know i don't know if any of that made sense but we're going with it are you really typing that it, it refers to zathras because if you guys talk shit about me and beyond the rim because uh, I, I i thought, thought you were actually it. serious and i was like well uh, that's an interesting cut that's an interesting it's thought not, but i'll i think no, it is i'll poke you in the eye <laughs> i'm not gonna you.
3: say a word about it, if it's right or not but i think he would spur some comments on this uh, youtube comments I'm with twice if i'm
4: right <laughs> They <laughs> just rolled their eyes at me. It's fine.
3: You know, I, I'm going to keep Zathrus and I'm not going to make it sound like a joke. Cause I think that's a good pool. I think that's a, that's a Uh-oh. deep cut.
1: <laughs> Jesse, Jesse, read into it as you will. I've been gaslit so many times by this. <laughs> I'm flinging. I
4: know, I know.
1: I'm on fire, baby. <laughs> Does Zathras have angel wings? That's the
4: question. Uh, <laughs> space Jesus, he might be.
1: Is he the Vorlon baby from uh yes. Tosh and what's her name? Yes. Is he the <laughs> you yeah. see the future Jesus. Vorlon baby? <laughs> yes. This is it. This is it. You guys have answered.
3: This is how B five ends. We, we find out we, that Zathras figured it out is. The future child of Lita and uh, Kosh. I can't Gosh. even I can't even say it because it's so fucking weird.
1: Zathrus <laughs> is the love child of Lita and Kosh. That's why he looks so weird. Yeah, you, you heard
3: it here first, folks. The newbies think that Zathrus is Lita's kid.
4: I like it. And
3: Emily, what else you got?
6: <laughs> okay, so funny that Jesse said Zapharis, cause that was my note. Zathras, because doesn't Zapharis die either way? Isn't that what he says? Like either way, Zapharis die.
3: He says, either way, bad for Zathrus.
6: <laughs> yeah, so I can imagine because he dies one way or another. So, yeah, I don't know that uh, Lando's actually going to be a situation to kill Zathrus, but I thought it was kind of funny. Can
3: you imagine, much like Knives, Lando and Zathrus in a sword duel? That'd oh, be awesome.
6: Well, that's an image. <laughs> oh, God. If we, if either way, bad for Zathrus.
4: Where I go, holy motherfuck, it is Zathrus. I'm done. <laughs> I'm
7: done. Just, just one Centauri oh, jump spinny kick to Zathrus's face.
3: <laughs> you know what? I was waiting for it. We did not have a spinny kick in the brawl we had this episode. Uh, so
5: yeah.
3: was- <laughs> I was
5: disappointed.
3: It's the first brawl we've had in at least six episodes where there's not a spinning kick. We will come back to the prophecy. Kevin, Mike, and I, and Blake, when he returns, will come back to this prophecy a lot quicker. But we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this again. And I'm looking forward to seeing how you all feel as. As the time goes on and uh to to jesse's point we may never get an answer we may never get an answer or maybe fans have been arguing about it for 30 years if you
4: i listen i swear to god scott if you made me watch five fucking seasons and we get no closure i'm i'm burning it to the fucking ground just jesse
3: i'm gonna tell you the end of babylon five right now you ready they all wind up in a church in limbo
1: it was all a dream
3: so purgatory
1: (laughs) no
5: no one watched lost all the seasons no, I've never no, watched I never Lost watched the single episode Well, I'm sorry
3: I spoiled it for you, but they all wind up in a church. Oh, ensemble. I knew they
5: were all like, they were all like dead. Yeah. I'm going to go <laughs> on a limb and be cocky and say I was right. I'm just going to say that right now.
3: I will also. Okay, here's the real ending. Real ending. You find out that actually Sheridan had a heart attack in the last season. It's all been a dream.
1: <laughs> or Patrick Stop Duffy is in the shower.
3: <laughs>
4: Patrick Duffy's in the shower. I will start tweeting jms on a bucket. <laughs> but then what happens
3: is in the reboot that is going to come out next year we find out that the last season was a dream and sheridan's back without a heart attack and sleeping next to roseanne
4: okay you're gaslighting us right the now car and is I've actually a that. ghost like we're moving <laughs> on <laughs> and
3: then zathras <laughs> gets kicked off the show for saying something oh. racist on twitter and we changed the name of the show <laughs>
5: You're all fired. We're oh dead. my god! I just caught you know the Roseanne thing. <laughs> <laughs> I've been up since they four the a.m. Of the show, okay. The
1: Epsilon five. Yeah.
5: Oh, fuck.
2: <laughs> I'd love to find out what Tom Arnold would say about all this he's hilarious talking about his ex-wife
3: thank you for taking that little stroll with me I appreciate it so Just is
0: gonna kick my
7: ass uh, I thought we wanted to keep the new listeners that joined us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
0: know
3: I don't know I, I, if you are laughing at this right now go in the comments section or if you're listening to us on Spotify you can leave a little note tell me if you're laughing at all of this I'm gonna hope that some of you are <laughs>
6: okay they're not. They're shaking their heads at why they even made it this far in this recording. if
3: you're beating your head into your desk tell me that too because it'll be oh, good that. to have a little bit I'm of a we've okay Done our jobs we've done our jobs come be a yeah. part of our tribe now we can go <laughs> home and sleep well no one got
7: that reference either did you and don't, okay. and don't watch lost because it's not worth your time it's not worth your time
3: <laughs> so let's go ahead and before we kick the newbies out I've already asked them for some predictions, but I want to ask them if they have any lingering questions after watching Point of No Return or any predictions of what's going to happen next. And then we'll answer all those in Beyond the Rim after they've left. So let's go to Nicole first. Questions and predictions.
5: Okay, questions. Is Haig dead? Does he survive? Is he going to show up at Babylon 5? And if he does, what's about to pop off? And then my prediction is, is since they have claimed martial law on Babylon five earth Alliance is going to send people to take over the ship and to take down Sheridan. But I don't think Sheridan is going to go down without a fight. And I think they're going to retaliate, which I then predict is going to make shit worse for them. Basically it's a shit storm coming is what I think. Justin questions, predictions.
1: So, to kind of piggyback off of Nicole, I do think Haig will come to Babylon Five, continuing to scream "fuck are you" at the <laughs> uh, Clark at the Clark regime, and it will force Sheridan to have to openly declare for Haig in order to recruit more ships. Like, if the Agamemnon finds out Sheridan's on Haig's side, will the Agamemnon join Haig's side? Like, it's gonna it's gonna create kind of a Kind of a domino effect of which ships are going to join which side. I think eventually they'll have no choice but to break off completely from Earth. And I'm saying going off of Nicole's, that's going to where the civil war is really going to start. And it's really going to hit like a civil war right in the middle of a conflict against the shadows. And what is that going to do trying to maintain a two front war? and that's kind of where my questions come in, they're going to have to leave one cause, kind of put one cause on the back burner. Is it going to be the war against Clark or is it going to be the war against the shadows? And having to set aside one cause, how is that going to negatively affect it? If they have to put the shadows on the back burner, how worse is the situation going to get? Or if they end up having to put the war against Clark on the back burner, how is that going to make Clark more powerful? And it's how is that deposing Clark going to be that much more difficult. One last prediction, and we've already touched on it already, so it may not be a hot take that I thought it was. I said, everybody thinks it's going to be Veer succeeding Londo. I think it's going to be the other way around. I think Londo's going to have to kill Veer if he wants to become emperor, but I guess that's what a lot of people were already thinking. I thought I was onto something different, so... Boo. Sure was nice of Lady Morella not to tell them. It's like, ah, eh, Winnie is gonna go first. You figure, you figure it out for yourselves, and and, then, this, L- and that's what made that last scene such a classic.
3: And then Lando, so naive, but we both can't be emperors at the same time. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Gasp! Oh no, Jesse. Questions, predictions.
4: I was not ready for Justin's. Ah, oh, fuck, are you? <laughs> I thought it was on mute and I cackled. Okay. um, He broke me for about five and a half seconds. So what do we get to see Jakar's manifesto? Like, is it written somewhere? Is there a paper copy of it somewhere? Do we get to see it? Does he get to read it? Do we get to read it? I'm not getting an answer. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> I was writing
3: it down because that's obviously a question that we're going to answer. I know, but, but I you're was not hoping here. that you were
4: going to answer it for me. Um, Why would I do that?
3: Then you would like me. We don't do that here. I'll go fuck myself.
4: Uh, Let's see, what else do I got? I think that Clark is going to burn quickly. I think that at some point he will be taken out of power and Earth will get their shit together. I do not believe that there is going to be a war between Babylon 5 and Earth. I don't see that being realistic. You guys just don't... I don't know how they would win a war like that, especially with the shadow ships.
3: I simply love when there's actually a, a binary... Somebody's like, there's going to be a war. And somebody's like, there's not going to be a war. One of you's right.
4: Yep. It's me. I
1: love it. I love it. Hi. It's always me. <laughs> Can I give one more prediction? I forgot. Please. We haven't oh, heard from fuck Mars. You. Yeah, there's there, this is actually a fuck of you. Mars is going to go fuck of you to Earth. And we <laughs> we have not heard. Still not ready for it. <laughs> we have not heard from Mars in a while. And I think Mars is going to get hot again.
4: Do you think Mars is to gonna mark. is gonna back Babylon 5 and they're gonna fucking attack Earth together? What's I don't know. I don't know
1: if I'd go that far, but I think definitely Mars is gonna take advantage of the Clark situation and okay. redo their fight. Jesse just asked me what the
3: population of Mars is. I don't get to pull out my Babylon 5 encyclopedia near enough. So hold
4: on. I also want to know <laughs> nice. what the population of Earth is in the year 29 or 70. 2260. 29 yeah. or 7. <laughs> Is
2: there a niner in there? Are we talking on a walkie-talkie? Uh, I'm,
7: I'm hung up, buddy. I'm hung up that you said things were going to get hot on Mars. Yeah,
5: they yeah, they're already hot. You can't. They're going to burn the shit out of you. Haven't you seen Total Recall? <laughs>
1: It's get David, you know, get, but don't get take David off Duchovny your space out suit. there for get David Duchovny out there for the twenty two sixty version of Red Shoe Diaries. Oh God,
3: this is the second time in as many episodes you've brought up Cinemax. Well, actually, yeah. no, it was a couple episodes ago. <laughs> Although Red Shoe Diaries was Showtime,
7: wasn't it?
5: Is that a porn? I don't remember. Oh, it's like a soft core porn that was. It was a you know, porn at like ten o'clock. Yeah.
7: David you know, was in things besides David the X Files. David Ducovney was yeah. like the main
3: like through line of Red Shoe Diaries. He was like. Yeah the whole time isn't he a sex addict too yeah that's california as well emily
6: did you guys see that sue johansson dying
3: Who? talk sex Who?
6: with sue the sunday night sex show did you guys not oh my
3: god i don't even know what that is i don't know
6: what that is <gasps> okay we'll talk about that when on sunday i've
2: heard of that i had a girlfriend that liked that show but i i, I don't know much about it did she die how she lived
6: I don't know, she was
2: in... I'm glad you all filled the dead air
3: while I was looking for it because the encyclopedia doesn't say the population. Of either? You didn't
6: want to...
1: Honestly, Scott, we didn't want to like get into your raging nerdgasm you're having in over there. Just finally getting to break out that big meaty puppy.
3: Yeah, but the one time. Oh, here's an entry on Galen. Oh, wait. No, you haven't gotten there yet. Uh, the one time I pull out the encyclopedia. Spoiler alert. The one oh, time I pull out the encyclopedia, there's nothing about populations. It does tell me everything about Mars. For one, Justin, it was founded by John Carter. Yes, it was.
7: Eh,
1: heh, heh. Okay, now I'm looking no at Mars. that movie. Right, a it's a to novel read. from the '30s. I know yeah. that. Great, Great series, series, like 90s. five, five or six novels written by Burroughs. Yeah, uh, birds, bunch of birds. So, There's a lot of spoilers in this, by the way. Don't look. Don't look. Yes, because we can read it from here. Okay, hold on. I'm, I'm at Earth. Can I get a? Ah, oh, fuck on you, Scott. Do it. Fuck on you, Scott. <laughs> you got me. You wanna man.
5: fuck on me? Are you gonna fuck on me? <laughs> I just watched that the other night. I was not again not ready. I am. I don't know if I'll ever. Leslie be prepared Chow. For
1: that. Le- Leslie Chow is another one of my spirit animals. So the encyclopedia doesn't give me a population
3: for either Earth nor Mars. So well, I want.
4: Then that doesn't help me because I need to know how like prepared they are to be. Mars has got my back. Could they take Earth?
3: Remember, yeah. Mars rebelled a season ago, and it didn't go well for Mars. Yeah, I think
1: they're going to do it again, though.
4: You're bringing up old shit.
1: That was a long time
6: ago. Do I need to do predictions yet? No, you don't. Oh, fuck on you, Emily.
3: (laughs) Okay, Nicole, will you have something to add?
5: Yes, I do. I was going to say, I don't think the Civil War that everyone's referring to is just going to be B5 going after Earth. I think it's going to be within Earth because if you go back to the part where they were watching Hey, Get Away on the TV and people were cheering, I think it's going to be I don't think it's just going to be B five or B five and Mars going after Earth. I think it's going to be if there is going to be a civil war, which I don't think there is. I it's going to be many people and populations coming together to go against the Earth Alliance. It's not going to be just those two entities. I don't think
1: humans are the key. We just have to turn exactly. In. And Emily questions predictions.
6: One of my predictions is that we won't actually get to see who becomes Emperor Burr first. I think it'll be Londo, and Vera will take over after Jakar kills Londo, and he'll take Centauri in a more positive direction, but I don't think we'll ever see that. And then this is kind of going back to some previous stuff. I think it'll eventually be revealed that IE is essentially a branch of CyCor, like their private business sourcing of weapons.
3: You don't mean Internet Explorer, right? You mean IPX... Interplanetary uh, expeditions? Okay. (laughs) IE could be involved too. I mean, it is Microsoft.
6: Yeah, I thought they called it IE. Um,
3: IPX, Interplanetary Expeditions.
6: All right, yeah. That shady organization, um, I think they'll come out that they're tied to Psycor and Psycor has been using some of their tech and that Morden may have actually been a plant on the Icarus and that he wasn't... Surprise! I'm going to side with them on this, that he may have actually been intentionally put there. And psycho is using Nightwatch and all of this other fuckery as I cover, so no one is going to notice them working with the shadows.
1: So Interplanetary Expeditions is like Volkswagen and Porsche. Got it.
6: Yeah.
3: Emily, I can always tell that you're watching episodes again, because you bring up shit that has nothing to do with this episode, and I love you. I yeah,
6: enjoy it. It's fun. It's a good time. But no, you're
3: happening? bringing up good shit. I like it. She's like, well, let's talk about IPX because I just watched Infection again. I don't know. <laughs> Anybody else have any questions, predictions that they didn't say?
4: I think Lita's almost due.
3: What <laughs> Zathras? It... <laughs> For Zathras to be born, when he comes out, is he going to be having like the raccoon? Is like he baby on a shirt?
6: or adult Zathras? No, Zathras is always
3: Zathras. He comes up yeah. full size.
5: <laughs> oh,
4: God, no, that's why just... she
5: has the gills. <laughs>
3: Uh,
4: he comes
5: out of her back full- like that in that oh, parasite. God.
4: I'm sorry,
1: no, everybody. But fully I, developed adult, just mini size. So it's like baby, baby grit, and then he just gets bigger. So
4: he
3: puts Zathras in a pot and plant.
1: Yeah. And he just dances around no oh, one listen
3: to Zathrus. water Zathrus. water him
4: oh my god
5: if you're new here
4: <laughs> oh, sorry.
0: You all too.
1: Yeah. sorry to lucia
5: we we're like all on 10 tonight for some reason but oh just yeah. wait
3: for next week's episode because we have a special thing going on next week so just wait it gets interesting okay So for those who are joining for the first time or anyone else, this is where we have the newbies leave. And then we will come back after the credits and answer all these questions and predictions and maybe talk about a few things that the newbies may have missed. So until next week, when we talk severed dreams, I've been Scott and with me has been Emily,
2: Kevin, Nicole, Mike,
3: Jesse.
4: And Justin.
3: He doesn't get to say his name ever again. Ever,
2: ever again. Okay, so he has no name. <laughs>
3: sorry.
4: i got to go to bed.
1: Different, I hate
2: you guys. different intellectual property there, yeah. Justin. Uh, something's he's all wrong about with Jesse,
1: because I'm never this fucking funny. So definitely something's <laughs> wrong with Jesse today.
3: Until next week when we do talk about Southern Dreams, again, remember to click all the links down below and also click uh, the subscribe, the up button, the notify button, the whatever button there is. And again, I know half of you are not subscribed. So just take the little time and click the button and help us out. And until next week, have a good one. And if you want to be spoiled, stick around. Bye. Bye.
4: Tell you that it never ceases to piss me off when you're like, this is the time where we're gonna kick out the newbies. You know, it still pisses me off, fucking three and a half seasons <clears> in. Jesse,
3: you have Only until October of 2024 to be pissed.
4: It's not that long.
7: We're not even halfway through, Boo. We,
4: we are halfway through. We should have
7: all started mispronouncing no, each
3: other's names. Because there's movies, Jesse. We're not halfway through because there's oh, movies.
4: Fucking, you! No, I didn't sign up for that shit. You didn't Man. know.
2: <laughs> and then there's Crusade.
3: Oh, we're not even going to talk about Crusade. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube.
0: And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that?
3: The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. This is your final spoiler warning. If you have not watched past Point of No Return, This is where you should leave us. Or if you don't care about spoilers, you can stick around as well. We're going to be talking about all of the questions and predictions that the newbies talked about. We're also going to go in more into the prophecy about Londo. But also first, I wanted to talk a little bit, guys, about Justin's comments about the episodes, not so much his questions, predictions, but that he was a little disappointed that he didn't get much closure at the end of this episode, (laughs) which I love. Again, we talked about this in Messages from Earth. We did not tell the newbies that this was a three-part story. So Justin figured, okay, we're gonna go on to another episode and it may continue what happened here, it may not. And so I just love that they're, I I wonder how many people in the nineties had this same thought was like, that's it. That's the point of no return. That's that's, that's where it's gonna end. So Justin's big complaints were that he expected state media control. Well, he's gonna wait a week. And then he was disappointed that the episode ended without much of a bang. So what do y'all have to say about that?
8: Well, Justin, there will be a boom. It will just be next week. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there was a lot that went on this episode. I mean, it, it almost completely resolved the B5 section of the Nightwatch storyline almost almost entirely, other than shipping the rest of them off. But um... oh, I thought you were going to ship them like Nicole. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Um, I don't I don't care about their love lives. They're all they're all horrible people. But I guess I can kind of see where where he's coming from. But at the same time, you know, the the ending of this episode is is pretty dramatic with, you know, the the, the reveal uh after kind of misleading the audience a little bit about what zach was going to do and then the reveal that he was on their side mm-hmm. um and com, com, like i said completely resolving the b5 section of that storyline I, I can kind of see where he's coming from but I'm, I'm not sure i agree i thought there was enough meat in this episode but yes the next episode is blockbuster
3: you also got just a little bit more, too, uh, Kevin, with the the Narn entering into the fold as security as well. Absolutely. That's something that I think uh, is hit on in Severed Dreams, uh, but this is where it really truly happens, and that's kind of a big piece.
7: I would be remiss to not point out that you did your usual shtick about how, if you're still listening at this point and you don't want to be spoiled, you should drop off. You really should have referenced that this is the point of no return. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah the one time in the entire series when you could have done it
3: i'm usually the guy that brings the dad jokes but mike had to back me up this time (laughs) so let's dive in to the questions and predictions now first one is Heg dead Kinda. Is he about to show up at b five
7: He's yeah. Schrodinger's general
3: <laughs> well, yeah, so Hag is dead as we pointed out last week too, and he's dead because the actor took a better uh paying gig, but his ship is gonna show up at b five next week, so they're they're partially right. They get points for
7: half credit. We technically don't know if he is dead at this point, no. but
3: <laughs> I guess he dies off screen in this episode though because Yep. Next week really starts almost immediately after this episode ends, so he's dead at this point. We just don't know yet. So he is the uh, general's cat.
2: Was the storyline um, off a little bit with you know the the weeks reference when they released Jakar? Because you know the last episode it was like six, and then it was like two or three or something it felt off to me but I no,
3: he got sentenced to six and then
2: two episodes was six ago, months right i thought it was six weeks 60 days 60 days 60 days okay two so two months All right. so
3: eight weeks okay okay and then so it's three weeks this one time i'm pretty sure it's close because okay for the most part b5 follows the calendar so you can assume there's a week between episodes of course i think there's less time between these episodes, but um, yeah, so I, I think it's pretty close. How is B5 going to handle two wars, the Shadows and Earth? How will their prioritization of those wars impact things?
7: I mean, it doesn't really come up as though they're juggling so much as they just kind of sidelined the Earth story pretty soon <laughs> and, and focus more on the Shadow War, right? Yeah, and and Sheridan
3: makes that, that choice. He says, we have to deal with the Shadows first.
7: Yeah and i Which, think i mean was- that, that was the right call
2: i mean you can't you can't waste resources fighting you know fighting with earth when you've got bigger fish to fry with the shadows
7: yeah i mean i guess i don't remember who actually put this question out there it sounds like a justin question but uh yeah i mean i think they were looking for storylines in the future about you know, having to make a tough call about whether a bunch of Earthlings die or something else with the Shadow War. And it just it doesn't really kind of come down that way. Well, and what they haven't
3: fully realized yet, I know there's been hints from some of the newbies about it. I know Justin's kind of hidden at it a couple of times. They haven't fully realized that this is all one big galactic war. We're starting to get bits and pieces of that in the episodes, too. We're hearing about how the League of Non-Aligned Worlds are starting to fight each other, and they're having their shadow ally friends being involved in some cases. Next a couple episodes, we're going to find out that the uh, Centauri are basically at war with anybody and everybody they can be. And we know that Morden and his uh, associates have been on Earth, guiding the Psycorps and the Earth military. So it's not two wars. It is a war with multiple fronts. So the next one, and the last question is, do we get to see Jakar's book? Eventually yeah (laughs) the book of jakar and this is a big turning point i mean really the turning point is when jakar takes the dust and then gets sentenced to prison tired jail time and that's where he really does have his epiphany but this is the path to him being a not only a leader of his people but a religious leader of his people so yeah the book of jakar is definitely going to be a big piece of that
2: and uh you know a cog in the you know, the shadow war to an extent too, um, you know, he just, he's a completely different character and which is commented upon a couple of times, most notably by Delenn. Mm-hmm. uh at one point, I don't think you're the same person that I met three years ago and he's definitely not. He yeah. goes through such a transformation mm-hmm. and it wasn't just the dust incident, but it certainly heavily contributed to it.
3: Well, I, uh, I think he's he's definitely been on that path, but when you like, sure, where did he turn, where, where did he turn left? Oh,
2: absolutely. That, yeah. yeah. No, we we agree. Uh, there's such a turn in you know f- several of the characters, and in other series, you don't always get that, as you mm-hmm. pointed out a couple of times. Um, the character development is not always something that's a key element, but it certainly is in this series
3: let's dive in to the predictions and the first thing i asked the newbies to do this time a little differently than usual is i actually asked them to give us feedback on the prophecy so a reminder the uh londo is told that he has five chances to turn this around of those he has failed at two already the last three are you must save the eye that does not see The next one is that you must not kill the person who is already dead. And finally, you must face your greatest fear knowing that it will destroy you. So we asked the folks first, and I'll go through this again real quick, what they felt the eye was. So most of them, Emily and Jesse and Justin, think it is the eye, as in the eye we saw earlier in the show. They're all wrong. This one is the one that JMS has kind of given us an answer on, kinda. And I say that because in some of his notes online, he actually, somebody asked why didn't Londo try to save Jakar's eye, later on in the series. And JMS says, yeah, would have been nice if Londo had at least tried to do something about the eye that did not see Cartagia's splendor referencing the eye that does not see. But then also later on, um, he also mentioned, because JMS likes to do things in multiple choice sometimes, is he's mentioned that the eye may not be E-Y-E. It may be I, as in Londo should have saved himself. And that actually comes up in one of the extended universe books where Londo is talking about the prophecy and thinking to himself. And um, I think he's talking to Jakar in the in the book. He says that if only he had realized that they were talking about saving himself, he would have caused all this trouble. So I wonder what you guys feel in terms of the first prophecy. If you agree with JMS 1 or JMS 2, or if you think it's something else.
2: So the eye that doesn't see is Londo not seeing what his... His future, I guess. His his past path.
3: Now, keep in mind, JMS did not write that book, but he was involved in the process of making the books. But what we do have for verbatim from JMS is that he jokingly said that Londo probably should have tried to save the eye that could not see. Yeah. In Chitar's eye.
2: Well, in the the eye of, what was it, the eye of Centauri or something like that yeah. from the first season. Which
3: is what the newbies uh, feel it is, yeah.
2: Right. Um, that eye did get saved, so I don't think either that or it referring to Londo makes much sense with the way that the prophecy is written. It sounds like it's got to be Jakar, which JMS yeah. seems to have confirmed.
3: I think Emily even tried to square that circle up a little bit because I think she said, if I remember right, that the eye will come back into play and he'll have to save it again or try to save it again. So yeah, trying to make that work.
8: So I agree with JMS on it that it's uh, Jakar, because the way I took the prophecy was you have these three opportunities left to to stop this. So I, I was looking more forward with it. So I, I agree with the statement that it is Jakar is with the eye that does not see Cartagia's splendor.
3: And it makes sense, too, because the whole point is Londo. And when we, when we see the scene, when Jakar is dressed up like a court jester and J- Cartagia says, I don't like the way he's looking at me, Londo stays quiet the whole time. He could speak up. But he doesn't. So that that's more of a Londo agency decision there is he did not try to stop it at all. Of course, if he did try to stop it, Cartesio probably would have taken something of his too,
7: but <laughs> Well, that's what I was gonna say. So I, I do agree that that given the three possibilities we've discussed, I I, I absolutely think that this is the scene the, the eye that they're referring to is Jakar's eye, but I guess I look at the other side of it as well, what would be the causality that follows you know, if if Londo did speak up in, in defense of Jakar, and how would that have affected anything? How would that have saved Londo? Um, showing he'd compassion, he'd I guess? Probably maybe. be dead. Yeah, that's true. It's my I mean, thinking.
3: Well, but at the end, though, I mean, skipping ahead, he does have a turnaround when he does die. So I mean, it would just sped up the process.
7: I mean, no, I guess I don't it, need save, the it saves C4 him from being, uh, having probably a... I guess it would save him from having a shadow creature follow him around the rest of his life. But. Yeah.
2: Well, I think there's other instances in which Londo, you know, a- appeals to him in such a way that Londo doesn't get in trouble. And That's true. I, he could have tried that in that instance. And he, and he chose not to, for whatever reason, you're right. You know, Cartesia was very, uh, very unpredictable. So you know, putting yourself in the line of fire like that is certainly not a safe thing to do, but, you know, Londo did that a couple of times where he, you know, he appealed to Cartesia in such a way that, you know, Cartesia even came out of the discussion liking Londo more even than he did when he started.
7: Mm -hmm. I suppose that's true, and I mean, I I suppose, as you said, Cartesia was very unpredictable, and so it's, I guess it's possible that he gave, uh, Londo could have given a very rousing speech that, Saved Jakar and maybe even rallied other Centauri in the room to see the error of their ways a little bit.
3: <laughs> We're all also talking about Cartesia, who does talk to Southern Heads in his office. So
7: Who doesn't? I mean,
3: <laughs> so let's move on to the next one. And that is the fifth opportunity. Do not kill the person who is already dead. Now, Jesse thinks it's Zathrus because she feels that Zathrus is destined to die because of what she saw in Babylon Squared. That's Jesse a deep, is wrong. I think Jesse is pulling this because um, people talk about Zathrus a lot more than on, on, uh, on our, even our groups, than what should be talked about with a one-off character. So she's assuming Zathrus is going to come into it again. I actually had somebody on our Discord, our Patreon Discord, kind of call me out saying, how the hell does Jesse know about there's multiple Zafras's? I'm like, I don't think she does. I think she's just making this shit up as she goes along. Justin thinks it's the friend from Knives. Uh, Londo made the deal to protect the guy's family, and he will have to turn on that family, which will kill the prestige or what have you of the friend a second time. That's a, it's a, it's a deep pull.
7: It's an interesting thought. It feels like a bit of a reach.
3: It, it <laughs> yeah. is because he's wrong, but
7: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I appreciate the effort again. He gets half points. So this one, actually, there's no that I could find. There's no like JMS saying, here's the answer. And from what I could tell, and I I, I scoured Reddit for a while, which was painful, but I did. And there seems to be two factions of who is the person who is already dead. The first one being Morden, because he died when he was on the Icarus and obviously he dies again when Londo beheads him and puts him on a pike. Uh, and then there's Sheridan, who dies at Zaha Doom and comes back. Now, a lot of people argue that it's Morden because of what we just discussed, that if he would've let Morden survive, the Shadows wouldn't have bombed the crap out of Centauri Prime. But also if uh, the people who argue for Sheridan um, is that he actually has Sheridan in his custody right at the end. And we see that in both War Without End and we also see it in the beginning that Sheridan time hops into his prison almost right before Jakar takes him out. So I have my opinion, but I want to hear you guys first. Morden or Sheridan?
8: Sheridan. Sheridan. That's really interesting. I'm going to be different, Mike.
3: I was leaning towards
8: Morden. I'm going to
3: be different. I say it's Morden. If it's Sheridan, he didn't fail. He doesn't kill Sheridan.
2: Right. I know. And that's that's why it doesn't fit. I agree. But um I think you could make the argument that you know, I guess well, I guess not.
3: See when I he kill when he kills Morden, he kills Morden and he he nukes the island that all the shadow ships are on. But that in turn causes the shadows to push against Londo and Centauri and gets him the keeper there's more to it than that, but really you can you can draw a dotted line between Morden dying a second time and then Londo getting the keeper. So that's where I, and again, if Sheridan survives and he is the prophecy, why does Londo need number six?
7: Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I guess there's a question about what is the definition of Lando being, uh, what, what was the wording of the prophecy what, of Londo being spared? Yeah. Yeah.
8: I mean, I would argue that dying at Jakar's hand was a better fate than
7: without it. Yeah, I mean, and maybe it was Sheridan. Maybe he didn't fail. And maybe in the end, his soul was redeemed as a result.
3: So but... he was destined to die at Jakar's hands regardless is what you're
2: saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is definitely a the Centauri prophecy of seeing your, how you die. So
8: if we go to the extended canon too, Sheridan surviving is what allows the discovery of the Drop Keepers and ultimately freeing the Centauri. Mm. I don't think Mwando himself could be redeemed, but he could save his people. Yeah.
3: The other thing, too, with me, and I, you guys are making excellent points, and like I said, it's basically a divided... There's two camps online that I can tell. I mean, it was back and forth, just like we're having here. It's just the the quickness of it. Sheridan is literally in prison with Dillon right after, right before he he has to have Jakar take him out to stop the the Keeper and everything else. And he makes a decision... To not kill Dylan and Sheridan, even though Sheridan then, you know, fades away, but he makes that decision not to kill them. So he does succeed at number five if it is Sheridan. He fails if it's Morton. So I don't know. I think what I'll do when I when this episode drops is I will try to see what if JMS will answer and try not to get whacked when I do it. Cause he has, <laughs> I have not been able to find if he's answered this at all. Like
7: something tells me that that's deliberate and he's probably not willing to answer it now.
3: I know, but then he likes to <laughs> at me. So we'll try. And then the last one, if he doesn't pass the, la- the one we just talked about is he must uh, give in to his greatest fear, knowing that it will destroy him. Jesse said he, she thinks that's helping Jakar. Because Jakar is his greatest fear and it will, helping him is a big thing. Nicole, Emily, and Justin say, give up on the empire. So let the empire fall and fail. None of them actually made the correlation between what we've seen, since all the way back in the first episode, "Midnight in the Firing Line," to now that we know Lando and sees in his future that Jakari is going to kill him. I would think that's his biggest fear, but the the newbies uh, didn't make that connection. Then.
7: You know, I, I guess I'm in the camp that I don't know that Jakari is Lando's greatest fear. I, I I have to believe that if Lando has known for many 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 years you know from his dreams that Jakar kills him eventually that that he's probably just more or less at peace with that to some degree but we've seen
3: him at least in th- two or three episodes talk about how he wants to avoid that future mm. like in, in Midnight in the Firing Line he's, he talks about how him and Jakar have a destiny and he knew the first time he saw Jakar that that was the person but then he also mentions uh, in this episode he's trying to avoid that path
7: that's, I mean, that's interesting because I there's, there's a difference between a, a possible future and, to me, the word destiny. And the word destiny implies it's going to happen,
5: that's whether true. you
7: like it or not. It's hmm. never struck
2: me that his greatest fear was Jakar or dying at Jakar's hand. It seems to me that his greatest fear is that the Centauri Republic, you know, and to a sec, you know, to a lesser degree himself, will not have prominence. Um, and, you know, his driving force throughout the entire series almost is, you know, is getting back the Empire and having it mean something like it used to back back in the good old days. So that seems to me what what this refers to. See, yeah. I just I, dis- I disagree with that. I'll oh, go ahead, Blake.
8: Is it my thing is, I don't think his greatest fear is Jacquard killing him. I think his greatest fear is death.
3: There
8: you go. You you go back to that elevator scene when he's in there with Jakar and he's like freaking out thinking they're going to die. His greatest fear isn't Jakar, it's death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And by him sacrificing himself to die because it's that that distracts the Keeper that lets Sheridan escape. Right. It all keys back to Sheridan lives and is able to save Centauri and save his people. He sacrifices himself to save his people, not himself.
3: Well, thank you for reminding me about that, Blake. That makes it very certain to me that it's Morden in the fifth prophecy because Sheridan doesn't escape until after Londo's dead but okay yeah but uh, I said I disagree with Kevin because I think Kevin your your thought on this makes perfect sense in the five-year arc of Babylon 5 that's what Londo wants from beginning until the end but when we see him in both war without end and we see him in the beginning He's a different Londo. And at that point, this the Centauri civilization has already fallen. He's looking out the window and the buildings are on fire. Okay. But he's still there. So for me, I, I go with Blake on this. I think his biggest fear is what his dreams have told him his entire life, is that this is how you're gonna end, and he has been trying to not have that happen. And finally he just gives in and says, and to Blake's point, in order to save the Centauri Empire, because if he continues to have a keeper, the Centauri are not in charge. It's the Drac. So if he dies and no one else has a keeper on them, then the Centauri have a fighting chance, especially if Veer takes over. And then so the his he's giving in to his death. And I think at the end of the day, he's actually doing it to save Centauri, not to give up on it.
7: Yeah, I gotta say that all makes a lot of sense. I'll say, yeah, I I I like what you're selling, but uh I don't know. <laughs> I still I guess I just it seems I don't know what to say about it like it's not it's it's not romantic enough that he's just afraid of death i think londo lives and dies for the empire and he willingly damned himself to to dealing with the shadows and mr morton and his associates a long time ago for the glory of the empire so it just seems to me like that would be the thing that would mm-hmm. matter the most to him that he would that he would gladly throw himself upon a sword or the us Empire. those listening tell
3: us what you think in both the uh in both our social medias. And then also if you're watching on YouTube, but please, please, please make sure you tag it with spoilers, put some hard returns in there so the newbies can't read it. But if you want to tell us what you think the prophecies are referring to us, let us know. And then of course, if you join our Patreon, we do have our beyond the rim section on our discord, and I'm sure our folks will be chatting about it there. So anything else you guys want to talk about the prophecies before we dive into the other predictions, the prophecies of the newbies perhaps?
8: So which one of them's Lady Morella, hmm. Justin?
3: <laughs> okay, let's move on from that <laughs> thought. The rest of the predictions for our newbies come in this form. Uh, first off, Earth Alliance is going to send people to take down the station and Sheridan. The team is going to retaliate, and that will make things harder for
7: B5. What a weirdly specific prediction. <laughs> uh-huh. ahead. I mean, well, initially, well,
3: the, the, the fighting comes from the inside, too. I mean, we get severed dreams, of course, but then we have Nightwatch still on the station in hiding and they're going to cause trouble too. It's,
7: Sorry, Mike, it's, it's the retaliate part that got me. Because, mm-hmm. I I mean, am I forgetting something? But it just, that doesn't really happen. It's not like B5 launches a strike against Clark and Earth,
3: <laughs> Not <laughs> nor, yet.
7: nor would they be in any position to do so.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, you're right. I think it's, uh, we also see too, and I think we discussed this in a previous episode, uh clark has clark really doesn't care about b5 he's he mean he's going to care about it more when it becomes a staging area but at the end of the day clark cares about earth and he cares about the colonies and so he doesn't give a damn what some backwater station's doing except for when it causes problems for him i
8: don't Good think talk. you say he doesn't care about it though i mean as we'll see in the next episode he's sending a shit ton of forces to try to keep it oh well, yeah i mean there's someone
7: there knows at his authority and he can't have that dictator's can't tolerate that sort of thing right that's true, yeah but it was you, yeah, you can't have dissenters
2: you know a pocket of dissenters that's allowed to get away with stuff
7: I think I, when
3: he sent those uh, those ships and of course we find out he sent the ships before the rebels started heading towards B5 so he was going to take it anyway I think that was more to put him under his boot before he be- became an issue no. I still don't think like on his list of things to do in the morning B5 is not on the top 10 that's just my opinion though
7: I don't know though i mean i think it was kevin that said it he sent a hell of a lot of ships just to secure the station before they knew that's where the alexander was going
3: Mm -hmm. there will not be a civil war but if there is it will be based on earth oops
7: oh there's a civil war all right
3: (laughs) you're one episode away
7: boss
3: (laughs) (laughs) but i can see where they're coming from on that i mean it's uh, uh, to that my point i just made Earth is kinda of the big uh the big jewel in Clark's uh crown. But I think it's obvious that we've been leading towards this this separation one way or the other. Now do they know it's gonna happen next week? No, but we've been leading towards the separation for a while. Haig will arrive at B five and it will force Sheridan to side with him. Or he will force Sheridan to side with him.
7: Well, no. <laughs> Sheridan
3: doesn't need to be forced and no. Hague be anyway.
7: Technically Haig does arrive, he's just in a vinyl sack uh and i don't think there's any forcing that needs to happen
3: no sheridan's already made the decision he's just trying to hold off and not have to pull the trigger but he knows
2: that's a really weird comment to me after the the um events of messages from earth so i don't even get that no
3: i think i think yeah sheridan has made it very clear where he stands and it's not with clark and in fact, the reason why Sheridan showed up on the station, anyways, because Haig wanted to find out who else was on their side. So Sheridan's been conspiracy since before we met him.
7: Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that it, it might have just been a weird wording choice by whoever posed the question, and we mm-hmm. might be reading more into it than they intended. But yeah, I agree. It is a weird one.
3: <laughs> so the next one the Civil War is really going to start when B5 breaks away from Earth. Nope. Nope. Starts. It starts with Mars.
8: Mars, when they go bomb Mars, because that's what pisses everyone else off.
3: And that causes the other colonies to break away, because at that point, you've now fired on your own people.
2: That was a monumentally stupid move by Clark. Yep. I mean, monumentally stupid. I was
3: actually just watching a lecture because I'm sick. I was watching a lecture about how Hitler lost World War II.
2: Oh, yeah, I've seen... The, the,
3: the argument wasn't that Germany could never lose. The argument was Germany lost because Hitler made every freaking stupid decision he could throughout yeah. the process. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Clark could have maintained Earth because the Shadows had other plans, but, um, man, that dude makes every bad decision as he goes.
2: Yeah. No, I I, I, I felt the same illusion because I was thinking about you know, the two front war with Russia that he, that he starts. And there's, you can go down, you know, down a list of things. And I had the same thought that you did, uh, Scott, about world war two with it. I'm, I'm wondering if that was uh, intentional by JMS. I'd imagine it probably, he probably at least thought of it.
3: The other correlation to that, that strikes me is Germany had Britain on the ropes in terms of just destroying all of their runways, their ability to get planes into the air. But right before they could do the, the killing stroke to end Britain, Hitler decides because he's pissy, because they bombed a city in Germany, that he's going to cause the, uh, the bombing of London, which allows the British to go ahead and repair everything not in London so they can get strong enough again to fight back. It's every time he makes a bad decision, the same thing here. you know. Mars just got smacked around a year ago. You, there was no reason to bomb the shit out of Mars, but you decided to do it, and that was the end.
7: Yeah, they hurt his feelings, and as a big yep. show of force, he had an irrational knee-jerk reaction, a need to retaliate. Yep. Yeah. That's well, even more you know, reason I mean. think JMS planned that. So, so you're saying
2: spectators is... are temperamental men children?
3: <laughs> yes. And usually they have small penises, but that's a whole other conversation. And they now come in orange. <laughs> You can send your comments to (laughs) wherever you want to send them. Bring them on. Okay. Clark will be taken out of power quickly. There will not be a war between B5 and Earth, especially with the shadows still out there.
8: Eh. (laughs) Season four.
3: (laughs) Yeah, no, Clark does not go quickly until he shoots himself in the face. (laughs)
7: Another Hitler illusion.
3: Very much so. And there will absolutely be a war between B5 and Earth, but the shadow fight comes first. And again, I've... I made this point already. It's all one war, but the shadow front comes before the Earth. Yeah, front.
7: there's there's a shooting front and a Cold War happening. Mm-hmm.
3: And th- this one's on the nose. Mar- Mars will break away from Earth. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. In about a week. Interplanetary Expeditions IPX is tied to Psychor, who is using their tech. Morton may have been planted on the Icarus.
7: Uh, I don't think we ever find out that there's any connection between IPX and CyCor, do we? Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, the,
3: there IPX is being utilized by Earth Alliance and by PsyCor, and really, at the end of the day, PsyCor's got their little puppet strings on everybody. But IPX is absolutely sent out to find more Shadow Tech or any kind of ancient tech. I mean, that's the reason why we find out about First and in Infection is they're not out there just doing scientific research; they're out there to find tech.
7: Yeah, sure, they were definitely out there for more more nefarious reasons. I just didn't think that there was any. It's not like they were a strictly a front for Psychor. I mean they were yeah, they're not a Psychor front, a front no. for the earth government, perhaps, but they're just being played like everybody else, yeah, and Morden wasn't a plant, he was just a dude on Idiot. the interest that had bad luck and maybe made a deal, or more than likely just got exogenesis. <laughs> <laughs>
3: but we also i uh, we we hear about it and I think his file, and then also. In the extended you know, universe, we do hear that Morden was a family man, he had a wife and kids, so I don't think he was a plant at all. That being said, I still think he's a meat puppet and you can hate me all you want for saying that term, because I know people don't like me using that term, but I think he's just a tool of to the shadows now.
8: still can't believe someone sent us a detailed definition of what a meat puppet is. Oh, for God's oh, sake.
3: It's okay, Yuri's gonna tell us again that we use the term bottle episode, so don't worry. Hi, Yuri. I <laughs> Yuri gets very upset. Yuri's one of our producers, so I love you to death. Thank you for being a part of the Great Council, but he gets very upset when we say bottle episode.
7: Yeah, I mean there's <laughs> there's still a question of, you know, was it was it a thing where Morden was made a <laughs> made it made a deal for his life to to work for the shadows, or is he not actually the Morden that entered the Icarus? And I think it's probably the latter. <laughs> yeah.
3: And I think we get told that in no uncertain terms when we get to Zahadu because we know that the other folks get put on ice until they're needed, and so, well, yeah, we'll get there when we get there.
2: I've said this before, but I think the most telling thing about any of that is not Morden, but it's Sheridan's wife. Yes because she never would have participated in that stuff from everything that we know about her and Anna just would not have done any of that. She wouldn't have participated in the previous form in which she was. So Mm -hmm. the fact that he probably, you know, is similar uh, makes sense to me.
3: Yep. I completely agree with that. And the last two uh, predictions come to the, other prophecy that we found out that both londo and veer will be the emperor and we just don't know which one comes first so the first pro we'll put these together and we'll just talk about them together veer will be the emperor first and then londo will have to kill him and then the other one is we won't find out who gets to be the emperor but if we and this is because jesse feels the show stops after the five years and we don't find out but if we do londo will go first and veer will take over at jakar after jakar kills londo so one jesse's right 100%.
7: <laughs> that's good to say i mean only two possibilities in this so <laughs>
3: she kind of hedged her bets with we won't know yeah but yeah that's that's how it goes although you know with londo the way he is right now even though he really does see veer as if not a, a son a brother uh, the londo that we're seeing right now in season three i think would kill veer if he
7: had to yeah but that, i agree but that doesn't i agree have- I think it would be it would be very interesting to see what circumstances put Veer on the throne before Londo. But we don't have to worry about it because it doesn't happen.
3: I do think one of the biggest reveals in all of this, and going to the whole Emperor storyline, is it's not Jakar, it's not Londo who killed Cartagia, it's Veer. Veer is the one that drives a needle into his heart. So that says a lot about Veer as well too. And I'm looking forward to what the newbies have to say about that. When they find that out, we'll go ahead and finish there with point of no return. And then next week we'll get a lot of these predictions answered for the newbies with severed dreams. So until next week, when we talk about the highest rated episode in the series,
8: do we want to mention that next week's a little bit of a special episode with severed dreams?
3: Yeah. Good point. So next week, thank you, Blake, for reminding me. We're going to be doing something a little different than what we've had this entire first year that we've been doing that show and that is we're all going to be together so for the first time in grade 17 history, the uh, most of the hosts will be together in one place eating Kevin's food and then recording our episode of Severed Dreams. So I'm looking forward to that. Be checking out our YouTube channel because you'll be able to see the video of that. We usually don't put out videos of our main podcast shows, but we we will have one for that. It's going to be a good conversation about a huge episode. And now, I've been Scott, and with me has been...
2: Blake, Kevin,
3: and Mike. And remember to click all the buttons except for the down arrow, and if you can, join us over at Patreon, where I'm sure our Discord server is telling us about their prophecy ideas and as i mentioned you can tell us your thoughts on all of this in the comments but please 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 make sure you put big old bold letters that say spoiler and do a couple hard returns so our newbies don't get spoiled and also it's not just our newbies i know we have quite a few listeners who are going to the show for the first time with us so i don't want to get them spoiled either we'll see y'all next week when we sever some dreams see ya it's
8: funny i
0: Wish to Lynn were here.